Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Geek Vibes everyone out there in the wonderful nations of geek vibes if you will this is your pal dane Alves with another enticing episode of wrestling geeks alliance a weekly show uh for new listeners that me and my co-host christopher do where we break down the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and uh on uh thursdays when we record we usually go over the wednesday night war results if you will uh, the aew dynamite show and the nxt show and both of them had semi-pay-per-view, so Fighter Fest versus uh, the Great American Bash. And uh, we'll go over the rating stuff, and then Saturday we'll do some WWE uh, news-related stuff and SmackDown and Raw. So definitely check that show out. we got two shows already out on pretty much every audio or audio. Yeah, any audio downloadable format uh, you can find. Uh, we just did almost a three-hour episode going all the, over all the shows for like the week and a half beforehand, uh, before that. And then also I did a show where I was talking about some of the, uh, I would say darker things going on in WWE, uh, with, with COVID and, uh, the speaking out movement and, and whatnot. So, uh, definitely check those out. But while I'm rambling, uh, I'm hoping that my co-host did not fall asleep. So let me introduce him and find out if he, if he did or did not. Hey, Christopher brother, Ray Patton, how you doing, sir? Doing wonderful, man. Got off work, uh, played some guitar, taking a taking a sip of this beer I got, the Steve Weiser, and uh, excited to talk about wrestling. Uh, how was your week, bud? You know, uh, not too bad. Uh, it's been a little bit busy at work, but uh, we're we're doing our thing, and you know, I I can't complain. There's there's been wrestling on to entertain my my worried mind, Chris. Yeah, I, I yeah, feel I, you there. It's it's been a very busy work uh, work week for me, and uh, wrestling has I, I crammed a lot of wrestling in the past two days. Let's say, let's say that because Monday uh, Monday and Tuesday my schedule was kind of thrown way the hell off of normal. But uh, I, I think I got it all. I think I think I'm ready. Maybe. Are you ready? Like SpongeBob's ready? Uh, more like DX is ready, I guess, because wrestling podcast. Ah, that's. You know, I'm an yeah. God, why didn't I say that? <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, there's two birthdays I want to say uh, a big happy birthday to. Uh, one of them is the Funker uh, Terry Funk. He was born on June 30th, two days ago, uh, from when we recorded this, at least. Um, and he is now 76 years old and probably has a wrestling match next fucking week. Chris, this is one of your favorites. I love Terry Funk. Uh, any? Do you have any words of words of encouragement towards uh, Terry going into his 76th year on Earth? No, just a happy birthday to Terry Funk. Obviously, as we've talked about on this podcast many a times, one of my absolute favorites, probably my number one. I rotate him and Dusty in and out. Uh, but yeah, I, I love absolutely love Terry Funk. Great dude. The the time the couple times I've met him, he was always super polite, and nice to me. He went through a rough, really rough past year uh obviously losing his wife past year and a half so 
hope he's doing well, and uh, hopefully one day we'll get Terry on the podcast. That'd be fucking incredible. Yeah, it would be a lot better than both of our poor impressions of him. But um, actually, we do. I think we both we, we both do it. <laughs> Anyways, um, and also uh, the Hitman. He just turned sixty three today, uh, and you know Bret Hart, uh, great great Canadian wrestler. Or you know, uh, he, he not mad at uh, Vince McMahon and uh, Shawn Michaels at all. Uh, fuck Eric Bischoff. Anyways, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, Bret Hart. Big fan of both these guys. Huge uh, contribution to wrestling in general from both of them. And, uh, yeah, just wanted to say happy birthday. Do you have anything to say about Mr. Uh, Brett the Hitman Hart? Oh, I mean, happy birthday, Brett. I hope that you're in a really good mood, maybe not watching wrestling right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he... Oh, that's funny. Um, he's a he's he's an AEW fan, I think. Uh, which is which is good. It is good. I mean, they brought him in and treated him like a big deal and had him present the title and didn't just have him as an afterthought on a show. So that probably well, goes a long way with Brett. Absolutely, and and you know how he is about respect. He wants to be treated like you know Tony Soprano. But um, I love Bret Hart, and uh, you know. He, some a lot of a lot of great matches. If if somehow you are listening and you've missed out on Bret Hart or Terry Funk, use the network correctly for Christ's sakes. I, I I hope that that's not the case. That's like saying like you know, um, I've hoped that you've heard of the Ramones, but who knows? I'm getting older and I'm cranky, and I'm scared. Old, old man yells at Cloud. <laughs> Damn you! <laughs> so, I, I, oh, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. I was, I was going to say before we get too deep in the news, I do have, I, I, don't, I don't know if this was on your uh, docket, but I do have a, a sad passing that I would like to pay some respects to. Oh, no, go for it, man. Uh, Killer Tim Brooks passed away. He's, he's more probably known here in the South, but he, he works huge promo with, uh, or, or Kind of a big deal with uh, Larry Zbysko and the storyline most people would remember later on with Andre the Giant and Ted DiBiase with uh, Andre selling the belt to Ted. That actually is something that him and Larry uh, Zbysko did after he won the belt from Paul Orndorff. It was the NWA National Heavyweight Championship. Um, huge, kind of a huge deal. He wrestled all over the place. He was known as a Buster Brody. Bruiser Brody's kayfabe brother as a tag team partner. He worked with him in the final All Japan match in what was basically Bruiser refusing to lose and became a shoot and was one of the only trusted, the people that like, Bruiser actually trusted to help get him out of there in a way that made sense because he was headed to New Japan and we should actually do a show at some point on that, uh, that entire feud, but um, trained a lot of people as well. I think he's, uh, he, he trained the, the most notable one of recent would be Keith Lee um, so obviously a, a huge loss especially big here if you had Georgia Championship Wrestling on ESPN growing up just wanted to take a, take a little bit of time and, and just give our uh, respects to him he, he was trade, uh, trained by Dick Murdoch and Iron Sheik and uh, retired in 1997 but wrestled from 69 to 97 so uh, unfortunately passed away of cancer he'd been in hospice since I guess the beginning of June so very unfortunate passing well-known in world-class championship wrestling wccw uh, gcw obviously and and also known for his work in uh pacific northwest with what basically led to roddy piper's face turn 
So all of those storylines I would highly recommend. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a very sad passing, and I just wanted to give him a quick shout-out and maybe a 10-second pause. Do you have anything you want to say about Mr. Tim Brooks? No, um, I mean, I wish I knew more about him, but I liked your breakdown uh, of him. And, uh, you know, it's always sad whenever we lose a wrestler. Um, but, yeah, definitely. Let's give him a 10-second uh, salute. All right. Rest in peace, Mr. Brooks. All right. So, yeah, there's two news items, I guess. I mean, we don't have a hell of a lot to talk about, which if we have a shorter show, I don't think it's a bad thing for either of us, Chris. We've been doing these uh, power episodes for like three and four hours. It's, it's craziness. <laughs> uh, love giving you guys content. And uh, now that we have Skype and we don't have to do it directly from Blog Talk, it's a lot easier uh, to be able to have more fleshed out episodes. But um, two things I definitely wanted to go over. One of them... Uh, I mean, it's kind of duh. Uh, if you listen to Dave Metzler today, uh, apparently WWE is not happy with uh, Taz for his comments last night on AEW. Uh, the quote that Taz said, um, he was bitching up John Moxley and, and his unprofessionalism. And obviously we all know that this is connected to him having to stay out and then postponing that match for another week. I think they're calling it uh, Fighter Fest. Uh, just just between the two of them and they're doing like a charity style thing, which is cool. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, he's good so far and I'm hoping that he can pass to be able to perform that week. I was I was figuring that he might have to postpone stuff uh, due to what what's going on. But uh, during the uh, <laughs> the promo that that Taz said last night, he had a line that, uh, well, you tell me if this is a shot. It said, if you decide to get your ass here to work next week. You would get tested again here in AEW because, John, as you know, we don't run a sloppy shop. So, um, you know, Taz, man. And uh, <laughs> I guess the question that I have to you, Chris, um, yeah, that, that was definitely uh, – Taz also just in general has a lot of animosity, it sounds like, if you listen to his past podcast, uh, to Triple H specifically. So I don't know if he still has bad feelings towards his end with the company before he went to TNA. I'm assuming that's the case. But um, do you think he cleared this with Tony Khan? Or, uh, because this seems even like with Tony, like, I don't know. He'd be like, I don't know if you should say that. You know what I'm saying? But, I mean, like, oh, okay, whatever. You took a shot during a promo, but it's nothing they can sue him over. This isn't like WCW, WWF level of taking shots where you're giving out each other's, like, show predictions and directly challenging each other to fights and it it's not like that i didn't have a huge problem with it yeah i mean of course it pissed wwe off i think maybe they think that taz owes them something but uh i i just remember on his way out before he went to tna that was not a very pleasant exit for him as he i think he's talked about on his podcast and uh his run there as far as a wrestler was also treated very shitty so uh if anyone has you know a reason to say something like that it's taz taz is going to be taz he's going to say whatever the fuck he wants pretty much i don't think tony khan is mad at it at all unless there were unless there was some way like if he said something that could get them sued by wwe if wwe starts yeah. going that route like they used to with wcw then it would probably be a bigger problem i mean he probably just said like good promo taz that built the storyline and if anything wwe getting pissed off about it just intrigues wwe fans to tune in to see what taz might say next right so 
and, unless he's fucking up and saying something that's going to get them sued or brought up in court, which this is not enough to do that. Um, it's yeah, it's it's I, to me, it's not that huge of a deal, but uh, it's kind of funny that they got pissed off about that because like they've done way worse on AW than say they run a sloppy shop. Yeah, I think it's it's just because of the insinuations with uh, the pandemic and stuff. But hey, man, WWE did well, do that shit, so it would be different if they didn't. <laughs> so, but I mean, I, I guess you could draw that conclusion, but he didn't directly say like, <laughs> "Hey, this is your this is WWE's fault because because of your wife." Like, if he had came straight out and said something like that, then uh, you know it probably would have been a bigger deal. But just saying they run a sloppy shop like the way he got released from his contract and kind of was treated there at the end and the way they booked him i mean you could draw conclusions to anything so i didn't even think about the COVID thing but i mean that kind of makes sense within the aw storyline of what taz is putting over because it's exactly what happened like hey if you don't want people to say bad shit about you like you probably should have been handling yeah you probably should have been handling shit a little better (laughs) like every other professional sport that's trying to go back right now is doing all of this testing and shit, WWE's out there just doing temporal scans. So, like, I don't know. Get pissed at yourself, <laughs> I guess. Like, if one, they're, they're lucky that someone hasn't caught this thing and died, honestly, because... No shit. Because, I mean, like, you're looking at a wrongful death lawsuit. Like, if it was, like, one of those friends and family, if one of those cats caught that and linked it back, to, and that's why they, you know, that's what was considered their cause of death, like, you're not getting out of that, like... People pointing out that they were really shitty and the way they were handling things should not be a surprise based on that they were kind of just treating it very nonchalantly from all reports that we've had thus far. I will say that on NXT, I did see people wearing masks in the crowd. So I think people pointing that crap out has made them maybe change that policy. <laughs> I don't know if you Yeah, I think that. I think the governor made uh, some type of mandate that, that people had to start wearing masks again so that might have been a tightening or it could have been obviously them trying to comply due to the fact that wwe got called out for it so either or but yeah i definitely noticed that myself um i before we go on to the news uh next news item i do want to um just go back real quick i had a couple corrections i wanted to say uh listening to my show that i did uh the monday monday suck edition of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, where I talked about, like I said, the um, uh, the the allegations and and, and uh, COVID stuff that we actually were just referring to. But um, I, I I noticed and I wrote stuff down because of because of the stuff that we were referring to. Um, the British outlet that I actually meant was What Culture. Uh, I did not mean to say Sam Callahan earlier in the show. He has nothing to do and has no allegations whatsoever. It was actually Sam Guevara. I never talked about the Michael Elgin stuff. I apologize about that, but you guys can go online and find out about it. I alluded that at the beginning of the episode. So uh, I did not mean Scott Demore the second time I was talking about NWA that he's involved with Impact. I meant Dave Lagana, and Jimmy Havoc has allegations. He doesn't have charges. So. I just wanted to be professional. That episode was kind of a, a pain in the ass to try to get through with everything. I listened it back to make sure it came out good. I noticed some stuff that I needed to correct, so I wanted to do that on air. So, uh, yeah. Uh, anyways. Um, oh, the other news item. We, we had a guest, Chris, uh, in the audience, uh, reported basically uh, a couple hours ago. Uh, there was a dude with a mullet. 
chilling, hanging out. Uh, MLW wrestler, from what we know. Maybe he's already out of his contract. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, Brian Pillman Jr. was seen in the audience hanging out uh, at AEW Dynamite's Fighter Fest night one. So uh, that's that's pretty interesting. There is a um, another picture that we have of him backstage in tights in his in his in his normal wrestling uh, outfit, hanging out with uh, Chris Jericho. Uh, I think that they filmed everything. I think the first episode was live, and I'm pretty sure the second episode was recorded. So I'm 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 assuming there might be, I don't know, there there might be a spoiled plan of of premiering uh, Brian Pillman. Like I said, I don't know his contract with the MLW. I have no idea. I don't think he's been really part of the uh, show uh, promotion lately, uh, getting ready for their new stuff. So who knows? Uh, I don't like I said. I don't know how that that, that works. But uh, either way, if he does join the roster, I think he'll be a great contribution. He has shown his potential of not just being. And I mean, it sucks, but every single wrestler that's second generation, third generation has to deal with this. Sean still deals with this to this day. Is being just the child of Brian Pillman. He showed great growth on the mic he did uh, he, you know his dad's crazy persona then he did more of a laid-back uh baby face uh when he was a part of the heart, heart foundation and his skills in the rings got really good i had a chance to meet him at a show uh, it was a barroom match and he was hanging out with mjf and and darby allen and priscilla kelly i didn't try to get too involved i said hey and told him i was a fan and everything but you know seemed really nice uh, all of them are incredibly shorter than you would think in real life. I think that's the opposite of what people used to say about wrestlers in the 80s. But uh, either way, Chris, what do you think about Brian Pillman Jr. joining, um, you know, up with friends of his around the same age, like your Jungle Boys and your MJFs and your Darby Allens, and when he's done, uh, Sammy Guevara's? Like, it seems like it's a pretty good person to throw in that mix. Yeah, I just wish I had a little bit more information about his actual contracts because we just also recently saw this with Tom Lawler showing up on a New Japan show. So I'm wondering if maybe MLW has laxed their rules because of booking restrictions or something weird of that nature. Maybe that's why we're seeing this. But if he's free contract and he's just going to be in AEW, that's awesome. Uh, I, I think the leak might actually help AEW, just the thought of, Brian Pillman Jr. maybe being a new member with, I mean, the picture is with him and Jericho, like him possibly doing something with Jericho or all that stuff is very intriguing. Right. And uh, I think he's, I thought he was pretty great in MLW. Obviously I haven't seen as much of him as some other wrestlers um, from MLW, but I, I, you know, I, that what I have seen, I've liked a lot and it's AEW has done a really good job of building young stars in my opinion, like Darby Allen and Sammy Guevara. And this could just be the next name that they add. I just wish I knew more about what that, what the hell is going on in MLW. Cause I thought that he was signed, but maybe I, I'm wrong on that. Well, I just found a link uh, that was from 2018 that said that he signed a multi-year deal with MLW. But other than that, I can't find anything newer that says that he's either out or in, um, I don't know. Uh, there was another article where he was talking about how MLW and AEW are benefiting from each other. They have done trades, but 
usually in the past, like MJF worked uh, both shows for a while, but then he obviously left and he came straight over to AEW. Uh, and they've had a couple other people, but um, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe if this is related to the pandemic with MLW and he asked and they said, they, you know, um, Wade Keller just allowed it. Um, but. Who knows? The weird thing that would only make you think maybe it's maybe it's an interpromotional thing. Maybe he's coming over and they're gonna hype MLW and send him back home or whatever, or maybe there's a partnership. Who knows? But it's just weird, Chris, you'll agree, to see him in trunks in the back. Why would he be in trunks if he's, you know, just hanging out with the fucking people there? Yeah, I mean it, it to me it points to him having filmed the dark match or not maybe a dark match, or maybe he's on that fighter fest as a debut. I agree with you. It is weird. This is one of their where there's smoke, there's fire. And like I said, I like maybe some maybe MLW is doing some promotional interpromotional work right now because like I said, you, we just had we just talked about it on our last show where Filthy Tom Lawler is was doing American Japanese uh, wrestling in California. So I'm wondering if they've laxed some of those contracts and he just resigned right before the pandemic because there was a there's a little bit of a question there on whether where he was going to be going, whether it was going to be AEW or New Japan. Um, but but then he ended up re-signing with MLW with kind of a, a pretty good deal overall. But when you see them start working with larger promotions like New Japan, even though it's it's the American version of New Japan, they're still bringing in their Japanese stars on the on these shows. So it it's it is a little weird. I kind of wonder more what's going on with MLW. But uh, if Brian Pillman Jr., he signed a two-year deal, maybe his deal is up if he signed a multi-year deal in 2018. And, hey, that's a great addition. It's an addition people haven't been talking about uh, with all the WWE releases and kind of out of nowhere. It'd be awesome, right? Especially as a young, as, as talented as that guy is and I think will, can be if, if pushed right, like put into the right situation with someone like a Jericho who has a knack for either, I don't know, so he seems to have a knack with anything he touches in AEW is, is helping them, right? Yes. So he's just done a really great job of being able to put over young talent around him, whether they're part of the group, something like Pride and Powerful or Sammy Guevara, um, or something like Darby Allen. Uh, everyone he's worked with, or even Cody to some extent, which Cody was already kind of over, but seems to be great at that so putting someone with like brian pillman jr maybe a new member to freshen up inner circle i don't think that's a bad idea but you could also do a feud you know with him or darby i don't it just seems like AEW's done a good job of building young talent so if it's a if it's a for sure thing and he's going to be there which it, with that photo being leaked and, and he's in his trunks he's at least going to have a match there right the the, the weird question is what is like the contract actually looked like with MLW. If it if it's going to be that they're lending talent to them, that could be really cool too. I agree. If there's some partnership actually directly going on that's more confirmed, I think that can be very beneficial for both companies as it has in the past. Um, I forgot who else was a part. That's so hard to like, you know, Jimmy Havoc was, um, and I believe Pentagon and Phoenix were right before they went over to AEW. So, you know, they definitely can benefit each other, and uh, who knows? We'll have to, to wait and find out. Uh, I like all that. Last question before we move on. You know, he he's kind of finding his own sh- 
shtick, I think. That that was the best thing about him recently in MLW. He was definitely coming off more as a babyface to the crowd. But before, he was doing a really good job with his dad's, you know, uh, old persona of the loose cannon and kind of uh, highlighting that. Which version of Brian Pillman Jr. would you like to see? Should he stay away from, you know, his father's alter ego, basically? I'm going to say you should stay away from it initially just because they already have a loose cannon, a very Brian Pillman-esque character in, in John Moxley. So you don't want to tread the same character. And to some extent, Darby Allen with his just complete fuck-all attitude. So him coming in and then someone making him turn that extra level on uh, to, to kind of make him have that breaking moment and then going more into that, I think, I'm, I, think I like that a little better. Um, than just him straight doing the Brian Pillman thing. And, and like you said, I think the more recent work in MLW kind of showed that he can flush out different characters and doesn't have to like be part of a shadow. And I think you drew a, a good juxtaposition with when Charlotte was first in NXT and a lot of the, the gimmick was that, you know, she was Ric Flair's kid. Like it took a while for her to get out of that shadow. And a lot of it was just having good matches and shit, but, um, also eliminating certain things from the her character and, and changing it quite a bit. Absolutely. But um yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to to find out what is in store for Mr. Pillman. And I've I've just enjoyed his 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 story itself. Uh randomly contacting and trying to get a hold of Stone Cold Steve Austin and Stone Cold reaching out to him and having him on the show and giving him he gave him a pair of his dad's trunks or something like that and inspiring him to try wrestling and him going to, I believe, Lance Storm. I could be wrong on that. Now I kind of want to look it up just to make sure I'm not an asshole. Uh, but Brian, you know, it's like we were just saying, like you were just saying about Charlotte. It's it's hard to, I mean, I hate to say this, but there's uh, Davids out there, like David San Martino and David Flair that kind of prove Sometimes it's hard to live up to your father. Uh, with David Flair, I don't think it was his fault. He didn't even get fucking trained. They just sent him in there and thought that he could just do it. Um, I don't know enough about San Martino, but I've heard people talk about him. Um, it's just, yeah, if your dad is a huge figure like that, it's very hard to, uh, you, you know, get taken seriously sometimes. And he was trained by Lance Storm. I was right. Yeah, so, I mean, he, he definitely knows what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> yeah <right>? exactly <laughs> so, so that's good i mean yeah it's it's uh the, the the weird thing about brian pillman's shadow is a lot of people that character was such a huge deal and then he unfortunately passed away before we really got to see the pinnacle but it's also weird because of the injuries he wasn't in ring he wasn't the same brian pillman as he was let's say you know 89 through like 93 in wcw yep so I think it would be really cool to see him. I don't want to say right off the bat because I don't want to put him into a box, but if, if there's some reason that he breaks into a Brian Pillman character and we get flashes of, of some of those great Brian Pillman moments, like a high cross body block or just c- certain things, um, maybe like Pentagon and him work a, a like a Liger um, Brian Pillman style match or something, even if there's a couple spots there that are a little bit of a shout out to the past. Nostalgia is good in small doses, but I, I wouldn't necessarily saddle him with a gimmick right off the bat, like like you said. And, and 
by being trained by Lance Storm, I, I don't think that that's going to be a problem, especially with what AEW is trying to present being way different um, than kind of everything that's out there as far as a wrestling show goes. Well, I agree, man. And uh, I think from what we've seen, he has a lot of potential. And I think that's the main, the, the main thing. So, like I said, like I always say, you know, as a horrible transition, we'll have to wait and see and find out more next week, probably. I mean, I'm assuming either on Dark or on AEW Fighter Fest uh, Night 2 or maybe on the Dark the week after. Well, I just like like we both keep on saying. I just don't know why he would be in wrestling trunks uh, in the back if he didn't have some type of involvement in some type of match in some type of capacity. It would just be weird. But um, let's talk about Fighter Fest. I uh, I really had I really enjoyed both shows, man. I really liked a lot of stuff that was on um, Great American Bash on NXT, and I also liked a lot of the stuff that was on uh, Fighter Fest. Um, but yeah, it was a jam packed show. I'm uh sucks. I'm not I'm not used to this. Uh, basically, I'm used to using Uprox for the breakdowns because they usually get all the segments together. And I mean, I watched it last night, but it's it's hard to jog your memory and try to remember every detail of everything. So it's nice to have something like that. Uh, unfortunately, along with a lot of people in the speaking out thing, the editor uh, was also taken down, and their whole entire wrestling thing has been down. Since then, so uh, the notes that I have, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I can remember if there is maybe, and Chris, if you have better stuff. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I basically I have don't AEW know if I'll Fest. Yeah, I just don't know if I'll have the segments ready, like um, like uh, any type of uh, promo or anything like that. All I have is like the meat of it, the matches. Yeah, so I, I think I have a pretty good breakdown from F4W if you want to want me to run off that. Actually, yeah, if you don't mind, and I guess next week I can just always get it from you or some something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, just uh, before before we go into it, what was your what was your take on both uh, shows? I so there's things I I liked the majority of AEW show. There was certain things I didn't like on nxt for instance the uh the Aaliyah match with robbie e. yeah too long too long and then it just ended with them getting squashed kind of and killing that storyline <laughs> basically i don't want to call it a squash but you know uh you did just put over i thought they were so against like intergender matches and then they just had an intergender match basically with robbie e. so uh that, that in itself was a little bit weird, and then just having both of them lose, it kind of kills any kind of momentum they would have had going. Um, and the strap match, I didn't think was very good. But we, we'll get into more details why, I guess, later on. But that I, for AEW, I was just entertained the entire time, but those two matches, um, outside of Roderick Strong just being stiff as fuck during that strap match... Uh, they, those were kind of lulls for NXT where I didn't really feel that as much on the AEW show, if that makes sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. What, what were your thoughts on both shows, just as an overall, I guess? Um, I like them. <laughs> I guess that's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I need, I need to probably, I'm looking over the card real quick. Um, 
AEW, I think my biggest thing, and a lot of people have said this, is that I really didn't care about the TNT title match um, with Cody and Jack, Jake Hager. I don't think that they had a bad match, per se. It just wasn't anything special. And even though he is a monster, I just didn't see Jake winning. So the credibility aspect, I like the way that they did it, uh, you know, to make it think that Jake thinks he won and he made Cody tap out, but I guess he doesn't hear for five fucking seconds that, uh, you know, Cody's music's playing. But um, other than that, I, I thought I thought most of the night, um, going over everything, yeah, I, I thought that all the other stuff was great. I loved the ending, especially with the involvement of Kenny Omega being a dickbag and not wanting to drink a beer. I mean, I, I know that you just <laughs> don't drink, but just, uh, just there's seeds, man, to my horseman theory that keep on, uh, you know, just happening. Uh, with with, a, with uh, AEW, but uh, NXT, I liked the strap match. I thought it was clunky in a lot of places. I thought a lot of the stuff was clunky, and um, and that Aaliyah match just was not good. Uh, or well, it wasn't really Aaliyah's fault. It just that thing was just a waste of time. I mean, if you're gonna have a squash, just have her squash both of them real quickly and just get it over with. It's kind of just a waste. So. Yeah, I mean, she just suplexed them into like she just bridge suplexed both of them and pinned both of them at the same time, like they were nothing. So she might as well have just squashed them in ten minutes or like in two minutes. So <laughs> who does that suck more for, Aaliyah, who's kind of always like their their punching bag, or Robbie E, who will he ever have a credible wrestling career now? Or I don't even know what the hell they're doing with them. I mean, but, I think that he's just a persona, right? I don't I don't think they see him as a wrestler, which really sucks because I actually do think Robbie E's pretty decent in the ring. Um, going back to some of his X Division stuff in TNA, but uh, I think he's, I, I don't know, it just kind of sucks for him because, like, now you've already kind of, you've already kind of said what his stable is going to be, right? It's it's like the Titus O'Neil thing. Yeah. What, what I gathered from that, where you could have done something really entertaining to a guy, I think, that's, like, played his character really, really well and has been entertaining as a manager, but... It just seems like they're like, yeah, no, nah, we don't really need like this can just be an afterthought on our show, which which sucks. I, I was I, I would have actually liked the storyline, even if it was briefly of them somehow winning and getting that recruitment, even if it was just for a few weeks, just because it would have gave them a rub. And you could have it, at least done something interesting with Aaliyah and, and him other than just like corny kind of backstage pop up segments. Yeah, I think I wasted all three of their time. I mean, I know that. Technically, Rhea Ripley looks like a badass for being able to do what she did, you know, doing the uh, her badass submission of both of them, making them tap out. But I don't know. It's like, well, what the fuck are you doing with Rhea Ripley? It was actually like my first question. Like, why was like, I love the throwaway dance. Actually, that was one of my favorite things. I thought those ladies did awesome. But it's like, why isn't Rhea Ripley in this fucking match? And why is Bianca Belair on a uh, main event? Just to fucking like... I don't know. WWE just baffles me sometimes. Their two best female prospects from NXT last year were completely underutilized, in my opinion, so far. Yeah, and I mean, this wasn't a strong win for Rhea because Aaliyah's never beat anyone, and Robbie E came out looking like Mark Marrow, and then it took her 10 minutes to beat them. If the idea was that she needed to look strong, she should have just beat them in two minutes. That's what I'm saying, man. It's yeah. So it's just bad to me, bad booking all around and kind of a waste of Rhea. You could have just put her in a match against maybe a young prospect and built someone and still had a good match and a good showing and made her look strong with a win. 
Yeah, dude. I don't. I don't know what they were thinking um, with that whole entire rationale. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll get to NXT. I definitely want to say before we go over AEW that before he left, it was really good to have Chris Jericho back on the booth. I don't know how <laughs> the hell they make a four man booth work, and uh, you don't know that Todd Phillips even exists on NXT, but um, they do. Uh, <laughs> And Jericho is an amazing contribution. I love finding out that he literally said that he studied uh, the way that Ventura would react with Vince McMahon to, to bring on more of his his announcing persona, if you will. You know how Jericho is. He has to do everything top-notch, and I fucking love him for it. And he really does do a good job of, like, a swarmy heel fucking commentator. And I love it that he calls Shivani Skivone. I don't know why, but it's, <laughs> it's hilarious. I think the veteran the veteran crew there really pays off because they give him the ability to have that breath. They they will wait and let him go full out crazy, and then JR will come in with like a really like comment like two minutes later, like the Walford Brimley stuff, which we'll get to later. Oh was my great. god! <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, there was just a bunch of great moments like that, and I think it's just that. You know, Excalibur doesn't have to do the Mauro Ronaldo stuff. I mean, he does to some extent every once in a while, but he's also able to step back and just let, like, he lets Jericho kind of take over the commentary, even though Jericho is doing it in, in a joking way. He is doing play by play, like he's calling out moves, so the rest of them almost become Jericho's colored commentary. Um, and for whatever reason, it works. I, I think that's just because Tony Schiavone and Jr. are really fucking great. And Excalibur is uh, holds his own being there uh, as a punching bag. He's grown a lot, so. man. He has grown a lot. And if you guys get a chance to, like I said, uh, in the past I've done them before, they're after shows with JR, Luchasaurus, Tony Schiavone, and Taz. You can tell those guys really like each other, and they get along very much. Um, but, dude, that whole commentary team's come a long way and has definitely tightened up, I think. Yeah, and, and Jericho is just great, and we just always want him on commentary. So when he retires, I guess he'll never retire. <laughs> His like, outfit, he's like man. <laughs> this can Canada Day. My my, I got my boss in AEW, which is awesome, uh, because he hasn't really watched wrestling in a very long time. Uh, but I. I talked about it so much, and his uh, his brother in law talked about it so much that he checked it out, and he's texting me back and forth, and. He goes, is Chris Jericho Canadian? Like, why the hell is... And I was like, yeah, he's Canadian. He, he was born in New York, but he's technically from fucking Canada. Uh, from Winnipeg. So, but yeah. So great, man. I don't know. He's, he's, he's just over the top. And that whole part where he gets pissed off about Orange Cassidy was awesome. Because the way they did it with Orange Cassidy, no-selling it the whole entire time, and it just collectively over a period of time getting more and more gradually pissed off with Chris Jericho until he fucking flipped out. And, you know, even after throwing water in his face, you know, Orange Cassidy's like, whatever. And he just goes in the back and Jericho's just freaking the fuck out like he's Catherine Heigl on the set of uh, Knocked Up or some shit. Ugh. Let's get into the show right off the yeah. bat. We had Private Party versus, uh, well, actually, right off the bat, uh, the show opened with Jericho joining the commentary desk. We get uh, MJF and Wardlow. They come out and they cut a promo on Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Uh, MJF said he, he, he thought he and Wardlow had dis- 
dispatched the Jungle Boy and his dinosaur once and for all. And he ripped on Jungle Boy for going through his daddy's money and said Luchasaurus was greener than his tongue. Uh, So he shot on Luchasaurus's wrestling skills and took a direct shot at Jungle Jack Perry. And then he said uh, he understood why this match was made, even though him and Wardlow had already beaten Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. He said it's because they're in a ratings war and you can't win without MJF on the front lines. So once again, great promo by MGF. What were your thoughts? Dude, I, I love uh MJF. Uh and his 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 attitude's great, man. I mean, obviously I'm assuming he worked out the because the way that Jack Perry and, and Luchasaurus didn't even wait for the pyro, obviously that was worked out. You don't mention someone's dead dad. I don't know. Maybe fucking MJF's that fucked up. I have no idea. I don't I don't think so. I've seen him hang around all these people. He seems pretty normal in real life. Hate to break that to you. Just don't find me and MJF and beat me up for saying that. Um, I saw you on an episode of Rosie O'Donnell singing, so I don't think you got much on me, man. Um, but yeah, and I, I, I love his comments with Luchasaurus. I love I like the whole entire thing. Uh, you know, the ratings were comments like I think it was Brian Alvarez. Like, you guys aren't in a fucking ratings war. <laughs> it's like comparing this with the WCW WWE Monday Night War. That was like, I don't know, like close to four million between shows. Sometimes, you know, of of the amount of viewers between both shows at the same time. And this is a little bit different. We'll we'll talk about the ratings, but still, I mean, they mentioned it, I guess. But uh, it's fucking MJF, man. <laughs> yeah, MJF has been has been kind of on fire with his promos and, and he's just playing that heel all the time. So I'm sure he, you know, he didn't mean anything. He wasn't bullying poor jungle Jack Perry. I'm sure the jungle Jack uh, knew that this was going to be said. I mean, I think more of the shot was coming, which is sort of screener than shit, honestly, <laughs> but um, let's get into the actual match. Jungle boy and MJF started off. Jungle Boy hit some strikes. He tried for a Hurricane Rana off apron, but Wardlow caught him, and MJF and Wardlow took control of the match. Uh, they traded quick tags, just beating the shit out of Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy finally made a hot tag to Luchasaurus, who ran wild with tail whips and a variety of kicks. Wardlow and MJF traded powerful strikes. Luchasaurus hit a Death Valley driver into a double down, which was a fucking awesome spot. Uh, MJF and Jungle Boy both got tags. Jungle Boy hit three dives on MJF. This is kind of a big spot the spot in the match, I guess. And then he went for a springboard attack, but Wardlow just tossed him over the fucking barricade, which looked awesome. Um, Luchasaurus hit Wardlow with a dive and Jungle Boy and and Luchasaurus hit a tandem cutter on Wardlow. Jungle Boy hit Wardlow with a poison Rana, which was also pretty cool just seeing Wardlow go over so easy for that. That guy is going to be fucking great. Um, Then Marco Stunt kind of got involved in the match. Basically, he... Call, he basically took the referee into the corner and he got kind of that spot. And then Luchasaurus hit a power bomb on MJF. Um, that didn't really, you know, that didn't finish him off. MJF hit Luchasaurus with a thrust kick. Everyone's down. Uh, Jungle Boy hit a destroyer off Luchas- off the back of Luchasaurus onto Wardlow. Wardlow tossed stun off the stage onto Jungle Boy onto the floor and then hit a swanton bomb on Luchasaurus for a two count. Seeing Wardlow do a swanton bomb in, in itself is very impressive. Uh, basically, the finish was MJF awesome. accidentally hit Wardlow uh, with a di- with his dynamite diamond ring, which we've seen. So they're selling the Wardlow turn, the Diesel Sean. I think that's where they're going with this is a Diesel Sean type gimmick, which 
should be great if they bring in maybe EC3 as another bodyguard. I don't know if they'll do this, but that might be something they could do if they wanted to just replay that storyline. Um, yeah, but Wardlow, he avoided one of the accidental punches, but then MJF got his arm kicked into Wardlow's face. Luchas, Luchasaurus just started kicking the shit out of him and then hit Wardlow with a standing moonsault for the win. And then a commercial aired for the AEW Dynamite Puppy Battle Royal, which is airing next week after Fighter Fest, which I'm completely stoked for because I love puppies. Uh, unlike not 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 in the same way as Jerry the King Lawler. Well, I mean, not to the same extent as Jerry the King Lawler, where it's weird. What were your thoughts of the match? <laughs> I love you burying yourself with the puppy comment. Yeah, he's referring uh, Jerry Lawler. We could say this. He was referring to boobies, and he was creepy about it. But uh, you know, <laughs> we were all uh, young teenagers then, so whatever. Anyways, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the puppy bowl. Or whatever the hell it is, it's puppies, so cool. Um, I think that's some charity thing that Tony's doing. I'm pretty sure he's doing a million charity things. So seems like a very, very cool, nice guy. The match, though, I thought was awesome. I thought it was a good opener. Um, I like this tension between MJF. I like that part where Warlow was supposed to hold him, and he he lost grip. And then right before, you know, he hit him, he's like, "You had one thing." that you had to do or something like that. And then he nailed him on accident. So I like where this is going. I think that you're right. You know, watching that video, by the way, that I sent you and Joel of Wardlow, I'm getting the impression he comes off like he's like the child of Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. And what I mean by that is that look-wise, he looks like he's related to Roman Reigns, but personality-wise, he seems to be uh, more like Brock Lesnar. He uh, said that he basically doesn't like people in an interview. And, uh, you know, he, he likes the space and everything. So he's a scary-looking motherfucker. But to see him do that type of agile shit, that was pretty cool. Um, that one spot where the, the dive spot where Luchasaurus did his thing right at the same time in sequence, they did that and timed it perfectly. No one was looking around. Everything was hit. Boom, boom, boom. Wardlow actually caught Luchasaurus, which I thought was really impressive. Um, and uh, <laughs> God, he he he... he planted caught him like perfectly like jesus christ man that guy just jumping off the top rope and doing a fucking front flip onto you like terrifying uh i thought the match was great i liked the pacing of it i liked that singles you know mjf might be this tarnishes his record and it's not technically his fault if you will like it's he's gonna probably put this on wardlow and even though it's not his single run, you know, the fact that it's there is probably going to bother some egomaniac like MJF. So this will be brought out, even though singles wise, they both beaten the guys separately. They got that one up. So I'm wondering if they're going to continue with this uh, dynamic. But yeah, I, I continue to be very impressed by both big guys, Wardlow and Luchasaurus for doing some of the agile stuff they're able to do. And MJF is such an excellent performer and, Jungle Jack Perry is crazy. He's he's all over the place and and, and cool as cool, cool as uh, James Dean, or actually he's cool as Dylan. I guess would make more sense. <laughs> I like that. Are are we? Uh, is Wardlow just the best at catching people in the business right now? Because if holy you go back shit, to that Cody, that Cody Rhodes fucking cage spot where it was all fucked up and he still managed to catch him. It wasn't that yeah, long he, ago. <laughs> he doesn't get scared. He buckles. He just like, Argh. 
that I think that guy has uh, potential to be a huge superstar if used properly. But we'll we'll move on. Um, Lance Archer and Joey Janela had a pull apart in the crowd, and then we basically got a hype video for Kirishita and Penelope Ford. Anything to say about the pull apart with Lance Archer and Joey Janela? Do you like the idea of those two mixing it up? Here's the thing. It's it's kind of mixed because. If Joey Janela gives actually a good match to Lance Archer, that's going to make Joey's stock go up. I still expect Lance to win. But you would think that Lance Archer would just be able to rip him in fucking half. And if it goes too long, that's probably going to hurt Lance Archer even if he does win. So that's my, my I don't know, double-edged sword, whatever the fuck you would call that. I kind of wanted them to flesh out the Sony Kiss stuff more with Joey Janela after that vignette, just because I thought that was a cool idea. So I hope they get back to that regardless of what they do with the Slanchar. I'm assuming Lance Archer is just going to kill Joey Janela because you need to rebuild this guy after taking that loss. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm interested in seeing what that match looks like, but I... I I don't know. To me, you just have Lance Archer go over. It's not going to hurt Joey Janela at this point, really. Yep. And that leads us to that. That leads us to our first uh, title match of the night, which I thought was was great. And I liked Penelope Ford a lot. I think this was probably her best match. I think Jericho said it was her best match of her career. And uh, as of right now, I would also tend to agree with him. Um, Audrey Edwards basically ejected Kip Sabian right before the bell. She's like, get the hell out of there. Here's a, here's a title match. I like that. I think they should do that more. Uh, um, honestly, if you think a manager's going to get involved, that that is interesting to see that she just doesn't play that shit. She also needs to do that during tag matches with the, t- with the, with the spot counts and stuff where it's a bigger deal. And I don't, I know they're, they're allergic to DQs, but having a DQ from like Audrey Edwards would make a lot of sense, especially if she's like the hard nosed ref, right? Um, but yeah, let's, I'll, I'll get into the match here, which uh, basically what we saw here was uh, Sheeta tried to repeat the quick win that she won last week by uh, hitting a running knee strike out of the opening bell. Then she tried for a Falcon Arrow, but Penelope Ford slipped out. The match went out to the floor where they sent each other into the barricade back and forth. Uh, once they got back into the ring, Penelope Ford took over with a handspring back elbow into the corner and then a boot in the corner. Um, Ford also hit a German into a bridge for a two count, and then we went to a commercial. Uh, once we got back from the break, they were just trading strikes in the middle of the ring. Uh, Penelope Ford hit an inverted DDT for a two count. They had a slap fight. Cheetah hit a pretty cool enziguri. Then Ford hit a pump kick, so they kind of just went back and forth with kicks. And then Cheetah blocked a stunner and grabbed a sleeper hold. Uh, then they had a kind of a fucked up backbreaker spot, but they they got back into the match really quickly. Sheeta hit a, a Falcon Arrow. Ford rolled through and cradled Sheeta for a near fall, which I thought was kind of cool using her move against her. I don't know that I would do that a lot just because that is her finisher. Um, so I wouldn't use that a lot, but it was a cool spot. Ford used a Matrix backbend to avoid a diving. Uh, what I think it was a diving drop kick. I mean, they have a diving attack here, but from what I remember, it was a diving drop kick. Um, and then she did the Matrix bend over, and then she just hit a stunner for a pretty awesome near fall. Then uh, Penelope Ford rolled rolled outside and grabbed the title belt, obviously getting fr- or what we thought was because she was frustrated. What this did was gave Sabian uh, the the time to get out to the ring with a kendo stick. She ducked, grabbed the kendo stick, 
uh, stick and then beat the shit out of Sabian with it. She stiffed him so hard with this fucking thing. It was awesome. <laughs> and he rolled out to the ring, never to be seen again. Penelope Ford got back in the ring. She hit a stunner. We had another near fall. Then basically Sheeta got up, hit a Falcon Arrow. I don't know if this is a time thing because it seemed a little weird. Penelope Ford kicked out and then Sheeta hit two running knee strikes for the win. Basically Ken Shasha's almost. And that was the match, which I thought was awesome. What did you think, Dane? There are parts of Kip Sabian's memory still somewhere in that fucking arena from when Sheeta knocked him in the head with that thing. Holy hell. Um, I thought this match was fucking <laughs> awesome. Uh, this might have been my favorite match on AEW. Uh, I have to kind of think about it going forward. But yeah, I think this might have been my favorite. And I was actually talking about that with my boss because, you know, the last time he watched wrestling was like, I was talking about the Attitude Era. The women portrayal in the Attitude Era is very different than now. And we were just talking about how crazy it is seeing wrestling, um, you know, from that type of side of it. Uh, I don't know, man. Um, it's it's uh, It was a damn good match. Uh, I loved I loved all the sequences that they did. I, I The one that you were talking about where she did the stunner after doing a backbend. You know, someone, I forgot who it was, but compared her. Once again, I, I completely see this comparison of Trish Stratus of how, like, you know, agile. And you can tell she used to be a gymnast. And uh, she's just, she's a badass, man. She's a future champion for sure. And her Kurashida keeps on coming back at being such a consistent just force. I mean, her aggression, uh, she's believable. Uh, she's it's it's great having if you think about it you know now now it just popped in my head I wish that Kari Sane had the freaking SmackDown title because like like a lot of the uh, female champions right now are Japanese and that's that's fucking great because they're all badasses you know uh, their style of wrestling is is very aggressive and uh, having someone like her her Kurushita, she just proves every single time that she's believable as that champion and I thought her and Penelope had a great match. Yeah, I I can't I can't agree with you more. I can see the comparisons to Trish Stratus a little bit. I love Penelope Ford's theme music, and uh, yeah, I I don't know. She's she's grown on me, and I want to see the break off between her and Kip Sabian. Even though I know they're they're together in real life, but you have to assume eventually that's going to happen in storyline, and uh, it could be great. I do see her as a future champion as well. I feel like the more and more time she gets in the ring specifically away from Chris Statlander, who apparently she just doesn't work well with, um, will be good for her. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that, that title picture now, because I guess the number one contender would be Nyla Rose or Statlander at this point. Do you know, Dean, right offhand? Well, it's not going to be Satlander because she is out for about six months with, uh, I forgot what she tore, but she's out for like a half a year. So I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea, man. Uh, Britt Baker, obviously, she's going to be back in, in like a couple more weeks, but she's going right into a program, obviously, with um, uh, Big Swole. So to, I mean, you would think, I mean, I guess they can do Nyla Rose again, but Who's another female heel that they can utilize? Obviously, they can't utilize um, Will Ospreay's wife. Well, I can't think of her name right now for the life of me because she's over in the UK. 
which is why we haven't seen her um, on. Why can't I think of the lady's name? It doesn't matter. Uh, just I'll try to look it up because now I feel bad for forget. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all I got. Would would it be a good time to bring back Rio if if possible? Well, the only problem with Rio is that do you want to do babyface versus babyface? I mean, I think it could work, right? It could. No, no. Oh, and B Priestley is who I was thinking of. Oh, yeah. She just recently lost the stardom title. I was actually <laughs> looking up. I was like, it's kind of weird that in Japan, their biggest... Uh, well, not recently. She lost it like last year. But I was going to say it was kind of weird that in, in in Japan they have like American champions. And then in America, it seems like we have Japanese champions right now. <laughs> like you said, if it was for SmackDown, if Carrie was on SmackDown, I'm sure she would probably be the champion there. It's just kind of weird to think about. Bia um, would be great, but she's like, I don't even know if she's had wins in AEW. Where Rio, being a former champion, you could at least draw that. But, I mean, I guess you just go back to, I don't know. Do you just do you just put the title on Penelope Ford because she's she's there? I was thinking, I was thinking that. Or if I mean, if she's not still filming and she's not injured or whatnot, maybe this is a good time for Awesome Com to come out and beat the living hell out of her and put her in a program against that. I could I could for sure see that. Well, I think that leads us to our next match, right? Um, we got an awesome breakdown of Taz explaining to us how the double underhook DDT, inverted DDT works, or le- uh, leverage DDT, I guess. Lifting double arm DDT. Mick Foley special, as I like to call it. Um, but yeah, so he broke this down and explained how Wardlow's shoulders are just too big. <laughs> For there to be any Brian Cage, or yeah, not Wardlow. Brian Cage, his shoulders are just too broad. Hilarious. To get any kind of, <laughs> he's like, he didn't say this, but he was like, look at this brick shit house. He's not gonna be able to double underhook him. His arms are too broad. And then he showed like all of the people that Moxley had hit it on. And in comparison to Brian Cage, yes, he is like the size of a doorway. So it does make sense, but it was a really funny breakdown. Um, and then we went into our TNT Championship match with Cody versus Arn. Um, there wasn't a lot of cool spots in this. I, I'm not gonna. I'll just break down the main highlights instead of walking through this entire match note for note. A lot of interference by Arn Anderson. I will say that this was. It wasn't that Arn was trying to be a heel, but he gave off the. He, he gave off the persona of definitely trying to cheat, which Jericho put over in commentary immensely. For instance, you know, people throw each other into the ring post all the time. There's a spot in this match where Arn gets in front of the ring post where Hager is going to throw uh, Cody Rhodes, which is a cool spot if you're a manager. I haven't seen anyone do that in a while. But then, you know, Cody gets, th- gets while Swagger is mad, Cody gets him into a wrist lock and then Arn moves out of the way and he throws him into the post. There's another section where Cody's uh, in a submission hold and Arn's on the apron. Um, there was, I guess, is it, is it Jack Swagger's wife that was accompanying him to the ringside? Yeah. Catalina. Okay. She, she does pull a heel move and slaps Cody. 
So that's like the that's supposed to be the heel heat for Jack Swagger. But looking at this match, there was not really a clear cut bad guy. I think the ref rushed the finish a little too quick. That maybe they should have played that out a little bit longer on this. Which for everyone out there listening, if you're you know, spoiler alert, the finish of this match is Hager locks on this chokehold, um, but his shoulders are pinned by Cody. He chokes Cody out. Cody gets the three count. Hager thinks he's won. There just wasn't enough drama shown by the referee, and it, it didn't take long enough to happen for it to really be put over. Um, other than this, it was just kind of an old-ass WWE-style TV match, given a little time. I don't think anyone in the match looked bad, necessarily, but um, it was a lot of them putting submissions on each other in rest holds for a while in the middle of this fucking thing uh, until you you started seeing like pump kicks and and ba- like I think Hager did a Vader bomb then Cody hit an inverted DT it, w- it there was some back and forth but the, it was a very slow pace not one of Cody's best matches and like you said no one I think no one went into this believing that the inner circle was going to come out with a win uh, and it also didn't help that, you know, Jericho is on commentary putting it over, but not coming out to help him with all of the arm crap. So yep. from a booking standpoint, I didn't necessarily like that because him putting over that Arn was being a heel. Arn was being a heel ass manager. And in my opinion, on the way he was booked in this match, I mean, I guess you could look at it a different way, but that's how I looked at it. And uh, just, yeah, that's that pretty much sums up the match and it plays into kind of your theory of <laughs> a possible uh, four horsemen group <laughs> or a Cody heel, right? I think there's multiple ways they can go with this, but I think as Cody has, I think Cody has bitten off more than he can chew and Arn is going to, there's two ways to do this. Arn is, he's going to have to confront Arn for getting involved in these matches as not wanting to be a cheater and that costs him the title and makes him descend into being a heel or Arn is going to go find someone that wants to work how Arn wants to work, which in itself could be very interesting. But to me with the way they booked kind of Arn in this match, there, there was no clear cut good guy. I will say that. What were your thoughts? I think that the match Match was fine. It wasn't the match so much as as much as, like I said, the credibility of Jake Hager. The fact that, like you're saying, one thing I didn't notice that bothered me until now, kind of was having Chris Jericho on commentary, putting over the match, but his buddy, and this would happen again with the tag match, too. Like, I wish there was more reaction to give reason to why Chris was already pissed off and frustrated. I feel like he didn't show that enough since his teammates lost a lot. Maybe I'm maybe I'm underanalyzing it or overanalyzing it. I don't know. Um, but the match, you knew that Jake wasn't going to win, which is also not helping Jake again, uh, like his match. I thought he had a great match with Moxley. I, I really like that empty arena brawl. Uh, this one, I love the, the spot where uh, Cody did that nuts springboard off the top rope stunner, where he usually does it off the middle. That was pretty fucking cool. And uh, a lot of the a lot of the wrestling was good. I just, you know, like I said, the credibility of, of Jake as an opponent didn't seem to me. Um, I definitely think that there was some heel stuff going on. One thing that I noticed that uh, my boss had said was like, but dude, I mean, I know Arn Anderson's old, but like you'd think that 
he would have put more aggression towards Jake Hager in that situation. And I was like, not if he's doing a, you know, a heel maneuver because he's just being chicken shit. He's, he's trying to like distract him, which is what happened. The Dustin part's really weird. Cause even with my theory, I don't want Dustin to be involved in that at all. I actually would love rather, you know, if, if, if this ends up being where Cody goes heel forms a group or doesn't form a group, I kind of want Dustin to be one of his foils and kind of, I don't know, take some of the persona concepts of his father a little bit for that type of foil for that group or for Cody himself in the state. So that, I think that was supposed to be where Brandy was supposed to be, but obviously, well, I guess not obviously. If you didn't know, she ended up uh, going back home because her, uh, her pup passed away, which was pretty sad. Uh, and anyone thinking otherwise, I, I don't think you've ever had a pet. So, um, so I'm assuming that she was the one who was supposed to run out there because it was just awkward with Dustin. It's like, don't get him involved with this because they were heelish a little bit. Their last match with Ricky, this one definitely showing some heel potential. So if, if not, if, if, if that's just all craziness and not, none of, there's no anything like that going on, then I, I, I actually, even based on his age, I wish Arn Anderson would have fucking try to go chest to chest with Jake and maybe got pushed down on the ground instead, or at least, you know, showed some authority cause it's a fucking enforcer. Uh, but yeah, that's the match is fine. Uh, like I said, that, that one spot was really cool with the stunner. I love it when Cody does that. Uh, and like I said, he usually does it off the middle rope. He's getting much more agile as he gets older, Chris. <laughs> uh, we forgot bring up the fact that uh, Jericho <laughs> called Arn Anderson Walford Brimley. This was this was the the Brimley spot, uh, which was great. So good. I think that he popped so hard for his joke that he didn't spend enough time explaining why he couldn't help Hager. I think that it could have been easily explained that he was so fixated on the fact that Orange Cassidy just existed near him that he could not help his friend. Because when Dustin came out on the ramp, Jericho's like five feet away from him, right? Yeah. And he hates Dustin Rhodes. I just hope this isn't a buildup to Inner Circle and the brothers again in, in some form or fashion. Because I'm kind of I'm kind of done with that storyline. Um, but it, I don't know. It was fine. There was a lot of shades of gray. And, I mean, even with, with Dustin coming out, he kind of came off a, as a heel already with the way he just dismissed uh, the, the Bunny and QT Marshall last time they were he was on screen, him and Brandy. So maybe they are. Maybe they're slowly leaning that way. Um, maybe not in the same way that you were thinking originally, but I, I don't know. To me, Arn was a complete heel this entire match, which I don't think is what they were going for. And it just came off as the inner circle not really clicking, and they haven't won a match in a long time. So maybe they're going to break them up. That that's possible as well. Uh, don't do that. Yeah, God, just keep them together. Hang out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love the Wilford Brimley line, dude. That that made me laugh my ass off, especially after like a little time has gone by, Chris, and all of a sudden Jr. goes, "Did you just say he looks like Wilford Brimley?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was crying. Oh my god. Fucking Mike Ditka meets Wilford Brimley, the enforcer on Anderson. <laughs> I think it was uh, I think it was just I think it was great. And that goes back to the commentary where I was saying they let just Jericho go on and on and then they'll just bring something back up 
and it it feels like natural conversation as opposed to just yelling at me a lot. I, I, I love how I, I love how boastful Chris Jericho is because he reminds me of like Rick from Rick and Morty. Because all of a sudden after that, like, did you just call him Wilford Brimley? Yes, Jr. I did just say he looks like Wilford Brimley. Like, so aggressive and so fucking funny. It just he's he's got great timing as a heel uh, commentator. And honestly, the thing is, it might be four people doing it, but the three of them, none of them are really the heel. All of them are, are technically babyface announcers, you know what I'm saying? So when Jericho's there, it's it's definitely noticeable in a, in a good way. It might have drawn back and even proceeding with the next tag match uh, from you know him being the leader of this group and not really reacting as much to it. But as far as commentary goes, man, it was it was spot on. Uh, my my question, yeah, I, I guess you know, and you, and you can uh, head into the next match afterwards, but. Before that, did you wish that 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 Arn Anderson didn't just like kind of like you know go in the the fetal position when he got knocked into the uh, the wall? No, because I think they were they were trying to put over that Jake Hagar is a badass, right? And Arn Anderson is old, and he's they don't want him to seem like he's going to be in any kind of wrestling role because this guy retired, which is like true. 98. You know what I mean, like. I, I I don't have a problem hey, you with know, that. As you know, much. you know what wrestler? Uh, you know what wrestler? He uh, he spine busted. It was uh, this guy named Sean Spears. Huh. <laughs> well deserved. <laughs> uh, we got a Darby Allen uh, Allen hype video in which he was skateboarding around, and then he did a backflip and landed on the skateboard on like a, a I guess a quarter pipe, and then reverted in, which was kind of dope. Um, my wife was like, this guy's just Jeff Hardy. He's like trying to kill himself actively during vignettes. And I was like, you're not wrong. It's kind of, kind of similar. Yep, minus, supposed to be minus the motocross, minus the motocross and add in fucking skateboarding, basically. Yeah. So it, it's, they're playing up the idea that they won't let him return to wrestling. Like he is not allowed to return because he has this injury, but the entire time he's disregarding his own health and, and doing all of this crazy stuff. I do think this lacks Tony Hawk. I need, I need him to bring back Tony Hawk again. Uh, but outside of that, I thought it was a cool video package. What did you think about the video package itself? Darby Allen's a fucking maniac. <laughs> like how many takes do you think that took? Cause I couldn't have been just one. So that's pretty fucking painful to have to do over and over again. Because in reality, I think he did mess up his foot a bit. So, and that's why he's been taking some time off to let it heal. And this is what this guy's doing. He's jumping out of fucking windows and hotels or jumping ridiculous distances with Travis Pastrana into fucking, you know, uh, foam pits or doing this whole thing. He's, he's a maniac, man. He's, 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 uh, he's pretty crazy. That's why I think that's one of the reasons why we're drawn to Darby Allen. It's one of the reasons why we were drawn to guys like Jeff Hardy or even, uh, you know, um, uh, fucking Mick Foley, you know, even. Uh, it just because that you don't know what they're going to do and they throw caution to the wind and they're just nuts. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, you know? Craziness. I, I, wonder, I wonder if they did a little bit of uh, camera trickery during this so that this poor guy didn't have to do... <laughs> like fucking back bumps onto a quarter pipe all day i'm not gonna say that he didn't do it but uh yeah it's i don't know that's a, I, it seems like a very hard trick to do and 
it probably did take multiple takes. So he probably bailed a lot um, for what he pulled off there. So I agree with you. Then we get Orange Cassidy coming out, sauntered in, sits down, kicks his feet up on the desk. Jericho freaks the fuck out. I feel like they should have just done this before, like one match before the, the Cody match, because I think you could have easily played off the reason that Jericho wouldn't have gotten involved is that he was distracted by Orange Cassidy. So at least she had a story out with that. Um, but outside, they do they do this, and uh, we get another inner circle match. We get Private Party uh, with Matt Hardy, uh, which is a bit weird because the idea is that well we'll see what's happening with Sammy Guevara, right? He's suspended right now, but the idea is that that is the storyline is is Sammy Guevara and Matt Hardy, and that's how he's that's why he's kind of involved in this match. Uh, I thought this was a good match overall. That lots of back and forth there were some spots that looked very they came off very planned and you could see a couple of them some of the dives and stuff but uh outside of that it was pretty good uh quinn and Casty ran wild early with some spectacular dives jumping all over the place Casty in particular uh he hit this huge dive to the floor um santana cut Casty off with a backdrop ortiz tagged in and hit a ddt santana and ortiz basically took over the match at this point Quinn got a tag during a commercial break, which is picture-in-picture, by the way, during this match. Um, Hit some dives, but then got cut off. Cassidy got a tag and hit... uh, God, I can't remember the name of the move. He he hit a big spot, and then he hit a swanton bomb on Ortiz for a narrow fall. Quinn tagged in and then fell victim to basically a double-team by Ortiz. Um, Ortiz and Santana. Ortiz made a cover, and Cassidy made the save for Quinn. Santana took out Cassidy on the floor. Ortiz took the referee. And then Santana tried to use the Mad Ball. And this is where Matt Hardy jumped in. Um, and to me, this one's not as much of a heel thing because you're st- preventing the heels from doing something dastardly, right? So he takes the Mad Ball away. Um, Santana and Ortiz, they went for their finisher, the Street Sweeper. Um, this is where it got a little fucking s- dumb to me with the headbands because earlier in the match Santana lost this headband and put it back on his head <laughs> so that they could set up this spot later in the match. I think he could have just said poke me in the eye or something uh, but uh, anyways it he pulls the headband over the eyes and uh, blocks the move and then Private Party hits gin and juice on Santana and picks up uh, the win. So the reason Ortiz or the, the reason that Santana and Ortiz lost is because of a, a headband that was lost earlier in the match that he put back on only to have it pulled over his eyes. Um, and then they played off that Ortiz was just like a millisecond away from breaking up the pin, which I thought was well done as far as the dive in to try to stop it. Yeah. So, overall, it was, a, it was a pretty good tag match. Um, there was a lot of, there were some very planned looking spots. I didn't like the headband finish. I don't think you needed that. You could have just had him do a Frankensteiner or some shit. And it would have been probably fine. Yeah, I, I have to be honest with you. Um, that's something I had a problem with. It's just, I really like Private Party. I think we've said this about them. Just sometimes they can, sometimes they're very, very much in sequence, especially uh, Quinn. Uh, and sometimes it just looks like they're trying to put together a bunch of stuff and the combat aspect kind of gets sucked away a bit. Uh, I think they've definitely gotten better. Um, I just, if, if you just take, like, say if you take like a team like Butcher and the Blade, and you had them in this match. And then you put LAX with Pentagon and Phoenix. And then you had Butcher and the Blade versus 
the Hardy Party or whatever the fuck they're calling it. That would have been cool. Uh, not for the night of, but eventually to have all four of the greatest tag teams on your product on the ring together. But, you know, whatever. Uh, but in all seriousness, what involved with this match, there were a lot of fun parts. I thought the Jericho stuff, it, it, it's good to have now Orange Cassidy in the mix, causing his distraction, pestering him, pissing him off, and whatnot, uh, unlike the, the Jake Hager match, because he should be getting upset. He's the leader of this team, and both groups are losing. I didn't like seeing LAX get a loss, though. I hated the fucking bandana part. I thought that was dumb. Um... I don't know, and 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 to be uh, sticking Matt Hardy with them is kind of underwhelming. I'd rather him in a different feud. If we can't wait for Sammy to come back for a minute, you know, just put him with someone else. Uh, but it, as as like their pseudo manager as of right now, or or their the guy that's like you know trying to teach them or something. Eh, just it was fine. God, I feel like I buried that, but I didn't mean to. really is was was more the problem as far as matt hardy's involvement they're just trying to keep him on screen with inner circle because that is the end goal i mean i think sammy will be back i I mean not right away but the end goal is to do something with matt and sammy right um so i they're just trying to keep him involved i don't think he's just going to be stuck with them as a manager i don't think AEW is going to go that wwe level of now you're just their manager now I could be wrong, but I don't think that's the case. Uh, we'll no. lead into this. We get the uh, we get the promo that we alluded to earlier. Or no, we had the pull apart. We talked about it a little bit earlier with Jericho and Cassidy. Um, I don't know why they decided to do an angle here, but it was it was fine. Jericho gets pissed off, um, throws a bottle of water, probably because he just watched. Inner Circle lose two matches in a row. So I guess it makes a little bit of sense. I still feel like they should have put Orange Cassidy out during the first Inner Circle match. and then this, I don't have as much of a problem with this. But uh, yeah, so Jericho throws a fucking water bottle at Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy gets up. He looks pissed. He kicks over his chair nonchalantly like he kicks over or does the shin kicks that he does. I think that was what they alluded to. Jericho is getting held back by like six people. Orange Cassidy, literally someone just has him by the collar of his jacket, and he is just standing there. <laughs> they proceed to the back, um, and that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> and then we don't get Jericho for commentary uh, the rest of the show. Any thoughts on this short little segment? Oh, I, I liked it for the buildup of their match. Uh, I liked, you know... I kind of wanted him to. It would have been interesting if they had a pull apart. If after the water got thrown in the face, that actually did pick, piss off Orange Cassidy, since we kind of saw that a little bit of his rage uh, the last time with Jericho. But it's also kind of funny at the same time that he was like, "Whatever, I don't fucking care. Go fuck yourself." And Jericho's just freaking the hell out um, at the end. Just uh, yeah, this is good. I like it. Uh, the the only thing that sucked is that Jericho was gone for commentary. Yeah, and I mean, Orange Cassidy, realistically, he's not a guy that's going to break through six people holding him back anyways. So it, it, to me, it played into his character. So I, I, you know, he did kick the chair and of pissed off, which showed a little bit of anger from Orange Cassidy. Um, then we get Taz and Cage entering in for a promo. Taz said he's upset that the match was moved back a week. 
He said Moxley didn't want to come to Fighter Fest out of fear of for the health of the staff and crew. Taz said that sounds good, but he knows that Moxley has been tested time again at home and is tested negative. He said the only thing Mox is positive for is ch- is the chicken shits. Taz worked in a line here about AEW not running a sloppy shop jab at WWE as we talked about earlier. That's well and good, and I like our now this is commentary from this guy, so he gives shit. Who cares? Uh, Taz promised that Cage will take the title from Moxley's dumbass at Fight for the Fallen. Pretty good promo. Um, the 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 writer of this article says, "Let's not throw stones in a glass house." Basically, people not wearing masks being in the in the crowd or whatever. But AEW is also testing all of their talent and have been. So I don't necessarily agree with it. I want I want to put it out there because I am using F4W for the recap, but I don't necessarily agree with the opinion. It was written there, which was like, don't throw. I, I think it's a very different scenario. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you completely. But, uh, dude, Taz, holy hell. I, you, you, you were, we were going back and forth. I kind of fancy booked myself into a spot where instead of you, you suggested, uh, you know, Moxley comes with uh, New Jack next week. And I think <laughs> that you were joking, obviously. Uh, just because he's been very, very, uh, he's a wonderful gentleman. You guys should watch his documentary. No, but honestly, you know, what would be really cool is if Moxley does decide, you know, like, I don't want to deal with Taz and Brian Cage at the same time. They could even do this if like, you know, if Brian, cause I think that Brian's going to win. I don't know. I, I just had that in my head. Brian wins. Moxley chases him. They have another match. This time Moxley wants someone in his corner so who the fuck does he brain, dude? One of his idols, the Sandman. And fucking Sandman comes out and fucking goes and smokes cigarettes trying to kill Taz around the fucking ring the whole entire time. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great. That'd be great. But I, uh, I love this I would... promo. And Taz is a... Uh, dude, he's a maniac. <laughs> he's fucking... He's awesome. Great, great manager, too. Yeah, so I, I thought you were going to go... I thought you were just going to say Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> That seems like Dude, if if they could pull that off. Holy hell, if Minoro's in the other corner just like smiling, staring at Taz. I don't like the way that motherfucker's smiling at me. What are you gonna do about it, Taz? It's Minoru Suzuki. I'm gonna put you in the chokehold. I'm too I can't get you anymore. I look like a panda. I Minoru Suzuki wouldn't know it wasn't a shoot, probably just joke him out. Legit. Uh, no, I, 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 that's who I thought you were going to go with. I know both of us love the North Suzuki so much. Sandman would be funny. Um, just because of the, the ECW. Yeah. Bring it back every once in a while. Let us know that. I know that Tony Khan's a big, uh, ECW mark. So it would be funny if, uh, Taz had to deal with fucking Sandman the whole entire time, smoking cigarettes and, and doing, doing, <laughs> when you're playing the Xbox and you're doing your Coke, that's, um, What's that movie? Oh, man, with John Hamm <laughs> directed by Ben Affleck. The Town! The Town, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I forgot about that scene. That shit's hilarious, though. I need to go back and watch The Town. That was a good fucking movie. Dude, Ben Affleck's a damn good director. <sighs> Some might better director than actor. <laughs> Which is not yep. a bad thing. All right, uh, AEW World Tag Team Championship match. We get Kenny Omega with Hangman Adam Page versus the Best Friends. Best Friends arrive to the main event in a van. Trent's mom was driving. 
she was later shown in the crowd during the match. Uh, I thought that was fucking hilarious that they pointed out that it was Trent Beretta's mom. Something about the best so friends funny. getting driven around. Especially if like Orange Cassidy was in the back of this van. I think they wished Orange Cassidy because seeing Orange Cassidy try to get out of this van without taking his hands out of his pocket from like third row seating would have been the best shit on the entire show. So I think they missed a golden opportunity, but I I did enjoy this. Um, this was a very good match, other than uh, Kenny Omega almost died towards the end of it. But oh, Omega and Chucky T started it off at a very basic exchange, and they tagged out. Um, Trent and Omega then had a back and forth, and then we get into a thing that I don't like about AEW, and it definitely pissed off JR at some point in this match. Tags go out the fucking window, and Trent and 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 Chucky T just start double teaming on uh, double teaming on Page for forever. Uh, Page made his own comeback, and then Page and Omega had a, a two on one against Trent once again. Jr. mentions like, "Hey, you get these people all the uh, out of the ring." Omega hit a crusher. Page hit a standing shooting star press for a near fall. Kenny Omega and Adam Page remain in control pretty much throughout the entire commercial break. FDR came out to the stage. They sit down. They got some beers. They're just going to watch, right? That's all they're doing. Uh, Jackie T got a hot tag, made a comeback. He suplexed Omega into Page onto the floor uh, against the barricade, which was a pretty cool spot, mostly for the people taking the moves, but it was cool. I hadn't seen that, so that was cool. Uh, Page and Trent both got tags when they got back into the ring. And uh, just back and forth, they're just hitting moves everywhere. Omega went for the uh, you can't escape, but Trent got his knees up and blocked it. Taylor tagged in and hit a spike pile driver on Kenny Omega. Page broke up the pin attempt. Omega then hit snapdragon suplexes all around. Page hit a rolling elbow on Checky T and a powerbomb on Trent Beretta. Omega hit the V-trigger on Trent. Page covered for a two-count. Page and Omega went for the last call. Trent dodged it, and Trent hits... Uh, Trent and Taylor hit their strong zero on Page. Mega broke up the pin. He tried the one-winged angel on uh, Chucky T. Chucky T blocked it and then hit a Mikinochu, uh, Michinoku driver. Sorry, I botched that word. Uh, the best friends, they did their hug spot. We get the zoom out. Page shows up, hits a giant pump kick. I, I like that the guy who, who some synopsis did point out that everyone is hitting fucking pump kicks now. Uh, but yeah, Page hit a pump kick. <laughs> Knock Chucky T out yep. of the ring. Trent and Page trade strikes in the middle of the ring. Trip Beretta blocks a sunset flip and set down into a cradle for two. Page hit a dead eye on Trent for a near fall. Then Page just straight hit the buckshot lariat, pin Trent. Um, and basically, they sold this as it was a two on one against Adam Page for a while as Omega was outside of the ring. And they've done this kind of a couple times. And they win. Pretty good main event. FTR comes to the ring. Got four beers in their hands. Obviously, their beers. And then victory beers. Page and Omega both accept beers. Page drank his. Omega, like, took a sip and then spit it out and then poured the rest of it out on the floor. Uh, FTR did not appreciate the shit and tried to whip his ass. And the Young Bucks ran in as Adam Page is like, I don't understand why this guy doesn't like beer. Or what the hell you guys are so pissed at each other about and continue to drink beer. Um, but he definitely seemed to, the way they even positioned it in the ring, he seemed to be standing more behind the FTR 
as noted with problems of him leaving the elite previously and being kind of offish. Should they have brought in Kenny Omega a glass of milk? What are your thoughts, Dane? You know, uh, if it's 2%, I think he would be down. Um, skim milk, it's just water, dude. Anyways, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I really like this match uh, for the most part. I do agree that it did get to that point where I had a problem. I'm glad that I was like, I'm pretty sure he's in and he's legal. He's legal and he's legal, and then it ended up being the way it is. But it's it's... It gets a bit ridiculous, and, and it's it's it is distracting. And when you have Jr. Shash fresh. That's all I'm going to say for when he's angry. That's a joke from uh, Bruce Pritchard uh, and uh, Conrad Show. But uh, that's their little impression for him. I don't even think that's Jr. says sassafras, but he knows about it and he loves it. Um, but you can just tell he's aggravated <laughs> and annoyed by stuff. But other than that, some of the stuff that they did in the match was great. And then the storyline, what they're building forward, what what exactly are they doing? Because, yeah, we, we, we've had Kenny and, and Adam. You, It seemed like they were like, fuck, even fuck the Young Bucks, man. Me and you, we're good. I'll drink my milk. You drink your alcohol, and we'll be good. And that's how they've been dealing with uh, their interactions. But now it seems, I wonder, I don't know. I kind of see, like, it makes sense, like, these connections and stuff like that, you know, between putting the four up with Cody and him acting a bit more heelish and and uh, Dax say, saying something about them online, putting the fours up together, and and they're still babyface, but you know they're on the precipice of beating the crap out of the modern Rock and Roll Express, basically, with the Young Bucks, that that's just about to fucking happen. And... um. Who knows? Maybe Adam could play the role of of uh, of, of a, the Barry Windham of the group, if you will, like the bigger dude that's with them. Uh, and that would be a badass. That would be a badass group. Uh, I also brought up on the last show if Tessa, which I doubt she will, I think that she's going to WWE. She would make a lot of sense for that type of uh, group. Um, but what if it's Kenny? Well, this is all a ploy. What if Kenny and Cody have been out in this in the in the since the beginning of this, and that. Once FTR joined them, they're now going to be their own unit. What if we're made to believe within this, is what I'm saying, that Adam Page could be this, you know, people are going to think there's going to be four fucking people. Arn Anderson's involved. Tully's kind of involved. You know, it would only make sense. But what if it actually ended up, like, Kenny fucking over him? Like, that, that, it came in my head while you were talking I don't know what the hell is going to happen. None of this might happen, but AEW is a lot better of using stuff from the past in a good way and, and, and going with it and making it new. Um, and it's even though they're not predictable at all, it's like you can say something like I'm saying right now and it could actually fucking happening where it's like WWE can literally call pretty much what formula they're going to do. But like I said, I thought the match was good. Uh, I liked all the interaction with FTR. I liked the way that they went off. I like that the Young Bucks and FTR have each other's backs. I think this is just showing false friendship so that we can really get them down to hating each other uh, in, a, in a split second. But I like all this. I like this major storyline. But I, I don't know. Chris, is this, is this crazy? Like, you know, it now they're making it look like maybe Adam's going to be involved. And 
What if what if it's actually Kenny? What if well you didn't even think about this and, and Kenny's gonna fucking be a part of this little shenanigans group if there is it. If there is a group. Well, I mean, this is something I thought about just because he his father was a four horseman and then he randomly showed up on the show and let's say maybe him and Sean Spears have a match. What about Brian Pillman Jr.? That's another one, man. That's a great person, too, to think about because that that's right. He does have the lineage factor uh, of, of, of kind of it would make sense. And, and putting him with Arn would make a lot of sense because he probably had a lot of guidance in Brian's career. Um, or, or you put him with Tully and your group is FTR. Adam Page and and Brian Pillman. We don't, you know, and that's the thing is like, if there is, they like to do factions. I don't have a problem with that. I'm a big fan of New Japan. I actually missed the use of factions for the longest time. I know that some people are like, oh, there's too many factions in AEW. I don't have that same uh, thought process. But it doesn't have to be four fucking people. They could have a couple people in there. What if they just want to get all the fucking titles? This is basically to kind of undercut, and not really babyface, but the undisputed era is not the undisputed era. The the uh, the inner circle is awesome, but like I said, they have like this part of them where it's like they're still getting rooted for. There's, they they don't have like this this heel team that you fucking hate, and this could be it potentially. I don't know. Or maybe the heel team is just the elite, and there is no four horsemen, and it's just FTR as the baby faces, because that's what it's pointing that's to. That's interesting. Is that it's the elite being heel as shit with Arn, and I mean you could do the whole thing, the the whole family. You get Cody involved, Arn's involved, Dustin's involved, and then it's just FTR and Adam Page left out the dry, and those are your baby faces. I don't That's think anyone an has a problem with that because Kenny Omega to me is a better heel, and the Young yep. Bucks are are swarmy anyways. So <laughs> I yep. I think that would be a good position for. For both of them and and like i said the more you see Arn doing heel stuff like this i think there's multiple ways to go with this it's layered uh, it's layered i mean what what would be your what would be like your dream matchup out of those i mean like if i mean obviously ftr getting a title shot they're gonna have to go through page and omega first and then the follow-up you would assume is the young bucks or do you have the young bucks win the title and then you have FTR. Like, where would you go with this? Build this whole entire babyface bullshit with FTR. Because I, I like your idea, but if they're... I mean, it's like, if you get a fucking heel tag team, you think they're going to play a heel tag team. But who knows? Your your, your concept, uh, I, I do like. But if they are heel, but they're just playing like we're cool right now, you know, they win the titles from Kenny and Adam... If Adam's involved, it can also be something in a situation where Adam gets knocked out or whatnot or or whatever. Um, and just, you know, try to do something in the ring where they get Kenny real quick or what. There's so many ways they can fucking do it. But um, I think that – I don't know, man. I, I It's – it's weird. I, I guess, yeah, they, 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 they have to beat Kenny Omega and, and Adam Page, get the titles, have that on them, and then what, I forgot what big uh, show, their, their main show that's in September, I forgot what they call it. I don't know if it's now All Out 
completely or whatever, that's where you do the Young Bucks versus uh, FTR for the titles. And then if they, I guess they could beat them and then act like they're going to shake their hands, stuff like that, and just start beating the crap out of them. Then we can find like a reveal through that. Um, but I don't know. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting. Or you can do a three-way tag and have them win not beating the Young Bucks and having allowing them to use that, you know, that you guys didn't beat us and we fucking lost for whatever reason. I don't know. I mean, you could do that with Adam Page just leaving all of them out to dry, like winning the match and then just leaving instead of winning the match. Because that's what they've done thus far is Adam Page is the reason they are winning these tag matches. So that's, I mean, yep. to me, it's just Adam Page is leaving. It, the fact that they're pointing him to side with FTR could be a swerve, but you that's can't, to me, thinking. but you can't turn Adam Page heel. I don't think the, the crowd is going to get behind that. No, I he, think they would rather him as a baby face. So if you put him with FTR, FTR has at least got to be a baby face for a little bit, in, in my opinion. Um, and, and honestly, they should be the baby face of this situation because they're in a different promotion and the Young Bucks were like, fuck the revival for like years. <laughs> or kind of, I mean, we know it's jokingly, but it was kind of just for no reason, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I don't uh, know. I, I will say it's one of the more interesting storylines in all of wrestling. And something that stemmed in reality and actually made its way on stage. That's the best part about it, you know? Well, yeah, but I mean, is it stemmed in reality or is it just stemmed in the Young Bucks reality? Because I don't think they actually, they had more of a problem with WWE than they do with, I, I think, the revival. Like, do they actually hate each other? I don't think they hate it, each other. It always just seemed kind of jokingly to me. Probably. But, um, yeah. AEW is pretty good, man. So which one of us is going to do the uh, next part? Do we ever decide that? Because uh, I, I like this. This is, uh, this is different. Yeah, I'll, you know what? I'll keep, I'll keep it going. It's fine. Holy so we sh- open up. <laughs> we open up NXT. We got uh, two sports cars, two American-made sports cars, like good lord intended. Woo! Because uh, great, great American Bash, I was a little lackluster on their stage setup for the Great American Bash. Also, shout out to Cody Rhodes for poking fun at WWE by having a American Nightmare Great American Bash t-shirt font earlier in the night. I forgot to mention that. Um, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> this show is... Chris, I, th- I think we lost you. Oh, you said this here? show and kind of trailed off for a little bit. Can Can you hear me okay now? Yeah, you sound good. Okay, yeah. So no, I this show was sponsored by Mountain Dew. Uh, <laughs> do the do. Lots of Mountain Dew. <laughs> Let's do the do. So everybody was all hopped up on Mountain Dew. They come at you like a spider monkey. And uh, our very first match, which I. I almost want to say this is match of the night, but that Timothy Thatcher match was so fucking good. Uh, it was a great match. We had Tegan Knox versus Dakota Kai, Mia Yim, and Candice LeRae to see who would become the number one contender. Once again, very weird Rhea Ripley was not involved in this. I 
don't know who she pissed off, but that to me is kind of how this came off to me as far as her not being involved in this match. Yep. Uh, Le- uh, Candice LeRae looks really good at the beginning of the match. She was on fire. She's hitting springboard, springboard planches to the floor. Um, we had a really scary spot with Dakota Kai taking a bump off, uh, taking a bump on the apron with Candice LeRae that did just did not look good. It, it, I thought that she may have broken her neck, but turns out she was fine, so that's good. Lorey got in a shit ton of offense in this match, and then uh, we had Yim and Ke- uh, Tegan Knox team up briefly. Uh, Yim hits a code breaker, and then she tried to cover Lorey. Obviously, this ends the pinfall, and they do the typical elimination match thing that they always do. So now it's Mia Yim's turn to run wild. She fires up. She hits uh, two big spots, two toe spots to the outside, some Hurricane Rana's. Um, and then Knox tried to catch Yim with a crucifix. Obviously, Yim kicks out, and then she delivers the soul food. That's her finish, right? I don't think that's like her... That's her actual finish. I don't think that's a signature. So she had mm-hmm. soul food. Um, but Knox falls out of the ring before Yim can pin her. Dakota Kai sneaks in, and it's her time to get, to get, get some heat. And... Uh, you know, Kai worked over Knox for a while. There's some exchanging strikes. Uh, the crowd did a very half-hearted yay, boo, but it's better than nothing at all, right? Um, at the very end, we get Knox firing up on Dakota Kai. A lot of determination, lots of fire. She's trading some near falls here and there. Kai showed her mean streak, uh, but Knox gave zero fucks. She hits the uh, goes for the sh- a shining wizard. Kai avoids it, tries to catch Knox in a crucifix. Keegan Knox kicks out. Kai transitioned into her submission finisher, but Knox was able to escape. And then she was ex- uh, she executed the Molly go round with a 360 off the top rope into a press. Then she hits the shiniest wizard, which is the most illegal move in all of wrestling, and then covered Kai for the deciding pinfall. It really is. <laughs> and there was okay, so this was supposed to be a little breaks but what they actually gave us was pictures and pictures through the majority of this match i thought this was a really really good match it had your typical elimination style offense but outside of that i think everyone worked really hard there was only one spot that was scary which like i said at the beginning was the the apron spot towards towards the beginning of the match what are your thoughts on mountain dew the uh dodge (laughs) dodge viper set up on the stage and uh this match how did you feel? Were you excited that Tegan Knox won and is the new number one contender? Well, I, I loved uh, I loved the, the cars. That was that was pretty cool. Um, but the match itself, I thought was really good. Um, dude, Dakota Kai, man, I think she stood out the most. I think she is a fucking monster in the ring. She's fast when she needs to be. Her kicks look awesome, especially that corner kick. One of my favorite parts is when. She did it to, I believe, um, uh, God damn it. Who's, who's, uh, the fourth person in this match? Who's Johnny Gargano's girlfriend? Why can't think of, oh, Candace. I think she kicked her in the face. Yeah. I think she kicked her and then Mia Yim right, right afterwards kicked her in the face. Like perfect sequence. Tegan's awesome. Um, her facial expressions are great, man. Uh, uh, I, I really like that ending, how she couldn't put out. Dakota Kai, and finally she fucking got it after a while. Uh, I just, I don't know. Um, 
I thought that it was weird a bit that Candace actually went out first. But then again, you know, the second person that goes out is Mia Yim. And then they're fighting backstage, and I think they set up another match for next week or maybe the week after that. I don't remember between the two of them. So they got plans with the two of them outside the title picture. But I want to see Dakota Kai eventually get in there. I, I know that they're building her more as a heel. She's got now her heavy um, to have her back and shit like that. So, But I think that she's ready. And uh, I thought that Tegan was also ready, so I'm, I'm happy uh, about who won. And I love elimination. That stipulation and, and three out of three, four out of four, five out of whatever is the best way to go. Um, just structure a good match and have it be to a part where it gets down to two people. Yeah, I mean, but we it's just the it's the way they format the matches for me more than anything else where you're going you're going to see like. It just becomes very formula, but I do like elimination better than it's just a four way or five way match or whatever they Mm -hmm. do. So still still comes off better than, you know, your main roster in a lot of situations. Also, if I could go the rest of my life without seeing a five way dance match. It doesn't make any. It's already awkward enough when there's three people. Now you got five people in there. Um, this is more a shot at the main roster. <laughs> Just find an additional dude. Like, what's Jinder Mahal doing? Throw him in those matches or whatever. Uh, just to like catch people, maybe. Uh, we go into the next match. This was a fucking wrestling clinic. If you're into catch wrestling, <laughs> if you like grappling and striking. Uh, this was awesome. This is probably my favorite match of the night. Uh, basically, they grappled early and often. There's lots of takedowns. You got some leg locks, some arm locks, counters and reversals, lots of chain wrestling. Lorkin uh, starts just beating the absolute shit out of Thatcher with chops. Um, they went into a bunch of Irish whip spots, and then they went over the top ropes. We go to commercial, come back in. Thatcher sets up a belly-to-belly, uh, a fucking great belly-to-belly suplex. They're fighting, you know, right in the middle of the ring once again. And then Thatcher eventually worked his way into applying the Fuji, uh, the Fujiwara armbar in the middle of the ring. Lorcan was forced to tap out. Thatcher, being the mean-ass motherfucker he is, refused to let go. He finally did. And then he just smiled with his hockey teeth and looked very fucking menacing. And I loved everything about this. And Timothy Thatcher is great. How did you feel about this match, Dane? Once again, man, it's going to be a difference between if you're a fan of catch wrestling, if you're actually a fan of the roots of wrestling, if you like MMA, your interpretation of this match might be different. I know I heard at least, unfortunately, some people found this match a bit boring or uh, inconsequential. Uh, Definitely disagree. Uh, I thought this was an awesome fucking match. I thought these guys beat the living hell out of each other. I thought Timothy Thatcher looked really good. I think this actually made Oni look good. And, you know, him and uh, he's been doing good with his tag team as of late. But he is a badass monster. He was trained by Lance Storm, as they they noted uh, on the commentary, uh, which is the reason why he does a single leg crab. But, dude, it it was it was fun. And I've seen Timothy now in in several matches like this. Uh, One with Davey Richards uh, Jr., uh, one with uh, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Filthy Tom Lawler. Um, and now, you know, with Matt Riddle and stuff like that, he is really good grappler. I mean, he, it's old school. It's, it's, it's very much 
I mean, definitely different too from the modern concept. But like, if you saw like a Luthez Danny Hodge concept back in the day, I mean, it, it replaced chops, I guess, with punches. Um, but I thought Only Lorcan looked really good. I think Timothy Thatcher looks like a monster. His face at the end of that, it's scary. It's Benoit-ish, but like turned up. If I smoked like PCP or some shit, um. Like, his eyes were popping out of his head when he was fucking just choking the shit out of, or uh, giving the Fujiwara armbar. So, yeah, I like this. I like, I like Lorcan. He reminds me, like, in the ring, he reminds me of William Regal if if he wasn't a gentleman. But I'm, get it? I I guess it's kind of weird to compare them, but Lorcan also reminds me of Drew Gulak a little bit. Drew Gulak, I think it has a little bit more personality, but their in-ring work, to me, is very similar. It is spot on. It's always good, I guess, is probably the comparison. Mm-hmm. Timothy Thatcher looks like a mean motherfucker, especially with the 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 the, the, old, the crippler smile, I guess, as you brought up with Benoit. I guess that would be the I, I, I thought of hockey right away. Like you just murdered a guy and you're just smiling on your way to the penalty box. He looks like a hockey player. It's he looks mean. He's like if Cesaro was mean. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> like as far as his look goes. Um, but yeah, I, I loved this match. It was by far my favorite thing on the entire show, but we'll move on to the, to the next match, which is the Rhea Ripley versus Aaliyah and Robert Stone. Robert Stone comes out. He is dressed like mean Mark Marrow when he was managed by Sable. They mentioned something about Rocky and I feel like they missed the boat on what, what he was actually going for. Um, how they could miss that when the guy worked for their own company. I have no idea, but just bad commentary. I disliked everything about this match. It was way too long. If you're going to do a squash, just do a squash. I thought it made Aaliyah and Robert Stone look bad. Didn't really help Rhea that much. We kind of talked about this earlier. Uh, there were some good good moves in this, and I thought that Robert Stone worked well with the spots that he was put into. Um surprised they did an intergender match in this fashion where Rhea Ripley actually got offense. I think the last time we, to me, the last time we saw this would have been, God, was it Ronda where they did something like this? Or did Becky have offense against Corbin? Because those would be the only two examples I could think of. I guess the mixed match challenge, but you couldn't go against the opposite sex in those. So, yeah, I think it was Ronda beating the crap out of Triple H. So, I mean, that at least shows shows uh, some faith in Robbie E, I guess. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I didn't – there wasn't anything really cool. I mean, she did a double, a double submission. Submits them both oh, at the same time. But she could have just done this at the very beginning of the match. We could have had a two-minute match. And you could have gave me like five additional minutes of Timothy Thatcher versus Odie Lorcan, and I'd have been a very happy camper. Or five minutes of the uh, elimination match at the beginning of the show. So that's that's how I felt about it. How did you feel about it? Who the fuck did this help? This match, like this didn't help. (laughs) This this didn't help Robert or Robbie. It makes him look like he definitely doesn't have a wrestling future. Just like kind of solidifies that concept, but. Aaliyah is always their punching bag. And if Rhea Ripley is going to want to look strong in this, yeah, she did. She It still took her time. Like, it, it, she should have beaten the hell out of both of them real quick. Why wasn't she in that fucking four-way? I thought this match sucked. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. It was 
It was there. It was it was way too long than it needed to be. Like it wasn't it wasn't mapped out bad, but the whole booking of it just was kind of silly to me. I, I didn't get it. Well, yeah, and I mean, to some extent, if Robbie E is your if he's your prototypical bad guy, so to speak, right? Um, or I mean, if he's your goofball manager, why would it take long for her long a long time to beat them? She's basically beating a jobber and a goof. And that's not me trying to be mad, but or mean, but that's I mean that's what happened. So we had Dexter Loomis versus Roderick Strong. I already kind of gave my opinions on this. I have to grab my laptop charger. I'm going to lose my notes. So Dane, if you really want to quickly talk about why you liked this match versus why I maybe didn't like it as much as you, and maybe some reasons on why you liked it, uh, I'll go ahead and let you let you do that while I grab my charger. You grab your charger, but I don't live in your head, so I don't know the differences, Chris. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I, I liked a lot of the... Uh, how much they were allowed to play, basically, in this, because a lot of times that we've seen, you know, Dexter Lewis in the past, he's kind of... We, we've been saying, like, abruptly, like, you know, he'll act like The Undertaker, and then the match will be over. So they were able to do some more stuff. Um... I don't know. I, I just thought that, you know, for a strap match, it was the, the thing that's going to bother me with strap matches, no matter what, is the fact that they don't do the four corner thing, because I think that has a lot to do with that match in general. Um, kind of like there's no need to climb out of the cage in the cage match because it's a cage supposed to keep you fucking in there uh, with the strap match. The element of pulling back and forth and trying to get those corners really would have helped out Roderick Strong trying to get the fuck away from him because the match I thought was good. I thought that a lot of the things that they did in the ring was good, but Roddy's all of a sudden over his fear of Dexter Loomis and he's able to like just start kicking the shit out of him at certain parts. thought that was a little bit weird. Uh, I think Dexter, for the character that he plays, sometimes sells too much. Um, you know, I, he was getting his ass kicked at certain parts, but... Some of the things that they did, I liked how Roger, how good Roderick Strong is as a wrestler. There's a part where he gets thrown out, and the rope or the the strap is over the, the the top rope, and he is on the ground, and Dexter's pulling him back in. And yes, obviously he's using a lot of force, but Roddy actually makes it look like he is getting dragged over on top of the apron and then up through the rope and shit like that. Uh, I don't think Roddy gets a lot of uh, credit, but I. I liked the match for the most part. It was it was brutal, you know. I mean, I guess it could have been more brutal if that's what people wanted, but it was it was a strap match without stipulations. I I uh, it could have been it could have been worse. That's a really bad answer. There you go, Chris. So I mean, your direct comparison for this within the same company as Daniel Bryan versus the Fiend. This was to me was not better than that match and part of it is because dexter loomis is booked in a way that he has less he has even less movement than the fiend it is very much like 90s undertaker as far as what they want him to do and i agree with you as far as like maybe he sells a little too much the other problem is you as you pointed out and a reason i don't like this match is a week ago roderick strong was seeing invisible people because he was so terrified of this guy and instead of him being terrified of being strapped to this guy he was firing up the entire match 
Like he was really laying into De- Dexter Loomis like he had a shot at winning this thing. When in theory, it should, to me, if you're going to do this match, it's so that he can't get away of this person he's scared of. It's almost like when you book Hogan in a cage match against like Ted DiBiase, it's because like now this guy can't get away, but they kind of ruined that because he's already kidnapped him. So to me, the storyline didn't make sense. The match was fine. Roderick Strong is great. I think he did as much as he could do in this situation. I don't know how much legs the Dexter Loomis character has for me unless they move them on to the next thing. Um, Agreed. It's nothing against him. I, I know that he could do a lot more, but the way that they're trying to book his uh, character does limit him a lot, and I wasn't a huge fan of this stipulation in this match, especially when we... Like, The Fiend's best match, if you're comparing... Like, once again, you're you're putting... You're almost putting pressure on Dex because people watch both products. So now you're putting Dexter Loomis pressure of he should be like the Fiend and that match should be like the Daniel Bryan Fiend strap match and this match wasn't as good. I will say there are things I liked in this. There was the um, Roderick Strong hog tying Loomis to get an advantage. I thought that was kind of cool. I hadn't seen that in a while. I liked... I want to say it was the finish where you basically got a rainmaker with the strap. Is that what the finish was? Yeah. So yep. he wraps and then he put him in a chokehold. Yeah. He, you know, he hits him with a rainmaker and then just chokes him the fuck out. I liked that. That was kind of cool. Um, weird. Weird match. Kind of expected a little bit more. I guess I more of strong being scared and maybe some interference, but because there's no, I mean, there's no rules in a strap match. So what's going to stop the undisputed error from coming out and helping this guy? Did, I mean, they didn't explain that. And the rest of the undisputed error is not even on this card. So yeah. those are more of my primary problems. So I, you know, I, I'm not going to say it's a dud, because I thought the in-ring action itself was fine, but there was a lot of other reasons to not like the match, if that makes sense. No, agreed. And I think that Dexter, you know, they're in developmental. Obviously, Sebastian's been a wrestler. I don't know if his name is Sebastian, but his previous name was Sebastian Shaw. I think it was Sebastian Shaw. No, that's a, that's a fucking X-Men character. Whatever. Anyways, um... I just think that uh, he needs to study Kane uh, and not early 90s Undertaker so that he can kind of use what I, because he's pretty athletic, allow him to kind of show that off a bit more and be able to take that methodical a little bit paced up because you're you're in NXT. You're going to have to. Um, I think that would help him as a person to study more so than what they're doing right now with him, which I'm sure that he's not the, I I don't know. Maybe he's trying to go for an old school undertaker type of approach. I have no idea. I I feel like that's what they're asking him to do more than anything. I will say that a shout out to WWA for wrestling school because he was trained by Mr. Hughes. (laughs) It seems like we get one of these every once in a while. Um, And he was also trained by Bubba Ray Dudley and Devon Dudley. And uh, that the name you're looking for was Samuel Shaw. Uh, which Samuel like Shaw. I, this is impact gimmick. So I had to pull his Wicca page up because I couldn't remember it either. He is a young age of 36 years old. Looks great. 
It does. He does not look like he's 36 uh, at all. I, I don't know. I, I, I like your idea of you need to book him more like a cane, more agile and moving around. But he still shouldn't be selling as much as... I mean, especially against Roderick Strong, if he's supposed to be this big monster. It's, I, I love Roddy Strong. The The idea is should he, be, he should have been dis- demolishing all of the Undisputed Air. Basically. Right? So the, the entire concept to me is a little... I mean, it gets even weirder now because... Have they said that Velveteen Dream is suspended? I am assuming that he's suspended. They haven't said anything yet. I can check again. Because I haven't seen anything on that, but then he was in a car accident recently and apparently fine, but there's like six allegations against him. Maybe they haven't publicly suspended this guy, but it doesn't necessarily seem like someone they're going to be putting back into the storyline anytime soon. So if that was the plan is to do those two versus Undisputed Air, maybe just shift to him taking out the Undisputed Air very quickly. Um. I don't know the, the the entire one. It's it's weird to me. Would you like to move on to the next thing, or do you got any follow up? Nope, I'm good, man. Alrighty, we got the NXT Women's Champion Io Shirai versus Sasha Banks with Bailey in a non-title match. Um, this was what I would consider a long pay-per-view style match. I thought it was very very good. There's lots of good uh, back and forth. The match started out pretty slow and prodding and then quickened really, really fast. Uh, Shirai's hitting missile drop kicks. She's Banks is going to the outside. Uh, Shirai's flying through the, the ropes with a high cross body to the floor. She's looking for a super a superplex of some sort when Bailey distracts her by honking a car horn. So using the set, I like this. Good job, Bailey. Uh, Banks tried to trip up Shirai and cover her for a near fall. Uh, Banks went to give her the double knee drop for another near fall kick out. Obviously Banks continued to work over Shirai for a while until a flying head scissors by Shirai caused some separation. Banks tried to cut her off, but Shirai was able to execute a super Frankensteiner, which anytime you see a super Frankensteiner, it's great. I'm glad they wrote that as Frankensteiner and not her. Rana uh, <laughs> Banks countered a double underhook, and she went into uh, went to set up her, her finisher, which is the bank statement. Shirai, uh, Shirai avoided the hold and they went into a very weird German suplex spot and then Shirai was caught in the bank statement but she was able to counter by cradling Sasha into a pin they traded cradles for a while WCW style before Shirai hit uh, Sasha with a double stomp she went into her finishing sequence her five moves of doom as people call it with John Cena she delivered double knees into the corner she climbed top rope seemingly going for the moonsault press but Banks tripped her up and tied her into the Tree of Woe. Banks began to taunt Shirai while Shirai's hanging helplessly upside down in the corner. You get the poor champion, Sasha Banks. Banks slaps her across the face, measures her up real nice, and hits a running knee strike only for Shirai to dodge the move, and Banks went crashing into the corner. From there, Shirai went for the moonsault press, but Banks rolls out of the way. Shirai ran into a kick from Banks. Banks flew off the ropes into a Meteora, which I still think that she shouldn't do because it looks bad and almost she almost always kills herself. Um, Shirai kicked out for at two and a half after this Meteora. Banks avoided a second attempt for the Tiger Faint kick. They trade they traded strikes back and forth, went back inside the ropes on the apron or went to the outside on the apron. Shirai went for a springboard, but Sasha caught her with a kick instead. 
Banks followed up with a sunset flip through the ropes into a powerbomb where she smashed Shirai into the plexiglass um, on the outside. Banks gloated at ringside with Bailey before she climbed the turnbuckles. Banks went for a frog splash, and Shirai countered to catch her in a crossface. Banks was struggling to make the ropes when Bailey tossed one of the tag team belts into the ring. The referee got distracted, which this one, to me, like, this one was a little weird. Bailey, with an illegal cheap shot, struck Shirai that broke the submission hold. Bailey got into a tug of war with the referee over the belt. Meanwhile, Banks went to retrieve the other strap. As Banks went to grab the title belt, Asuka suddenly appeared to stop her from using the belt. Asuka spit green mist into Banks' face, and Shirai with a schoolgirl for uh, Shirai hit a schoolgirl for a two count. Then Shirai dropped Banks with palm strikes and then wiped out Bailey with a wrecking ball dropkick. Shirai then hit the press, uh, moonsaulted back into the ring on Banks. She covered Banks for the win. Uh, um, this was a really good match, and then we got a lot of fuckery at the end, which was, I'm assuming, to set up Sasha Banks versus Asuka. Outside of that, I really liked this match. What were, what were your opinions on this match, Shane? Um, I thought it was a good match. I thought both ladies looked awesome. That one weird suplex spot that you were talking about, I thought... I wasn't really sure what happened. I thought that Sasha actually reversed it at first, and then she all of a sudden started selling right afterwards, and I was like, did she hurt her neck? Like, she kind of, like, put herself in a weird position. Uh, the double knee in the corner, I usually hate maneuvers like that. I've, I'm I'm a, fit, a crotchety old man. Uh, I just don't like anything where you're with the, the person, the opponent is grabbing the other rope, keeping them up. But she did it so quickly that it was, like, perfect. She didn't try to go off the top like she used to and get the crowd into it. She just went off the second rope, just nailed her in the stomach, uh, and I thought it was a lot more effective. Um, and uh, I thought that that powerbomb spot, man, how the fuck is it, Chris? I'm going to pass it right back to you. I want to ask you a question of how the hell is it that Sasha can take an individual the size of your Shirai, pull her out, pick her up, place her against the poxy glass and then be able to take her down to the mat or the floor in a power bomb, you know, without actually hurting her. But then you have Nia Jax that trips a fucking other person into stairs and shit. I, I just don't get it. Um, because like the way well, difference Sasha of, really good. <laughs> well, I, all right, just the weight difference between the two of them. And I've seen like, you know, Nia fuck someone up. I don't know. It's just amazing to me. Um, but I thought I thought the match was good. The fuckery at the end. Here's another problem. The mist is not invisible. So once, like, Asuka should have gone right the back the fuck underneath the ring because once the referee sees her right there, how the hell did Green get all over her face? Like, the ref even realized, like, hey, your face is green. Like, you know, s- little things like that kind of bother me. But still, these two, these ladies are both fucking great. And they had a good match. Just helped out EO. Sasha put her over, you know, and we might, you know, eventually get EO Shirai and Asuka against Bailey and uh, whatchamacallit, maybe in the future, like maybe on NXT or something. That'd be kind of cool. I don't know. Thought it was, it shouldn't have been, I don't, I don't know if it should have been the main event though. I'm not hundred percent sold on that. I don't know what I would have replaced I- with it. Maybe the four way. I think if you toss Bailey out of the match and you just let them finish the match naturally and don't have the Oscar spot, then it could have been worthy of being a main event match. But on your card, 
I mean, the number one contender match should have been the most important thing. Honestly, I mean, if you're going to put the if you want to put a women's match in the main event, I would have put the the elimination match probably there. Switch switch these two. Um, for the miss spot, I mean, this is just a common complaint in general. Wrestling used to look a lot worse on camera, so having a big green mist visually made a lot more sense. But like, I've been watching Triple H blow water out of his mouth for the past twenty years, so you can you can visually catch you can visually catch a clear liquid in HD. So you could just be using a clear liquid substance. I mean, hell, like if someone blows salt water directly in your eyes. It's going to affect you for a while. Like, she might as well have pocket sand. Actually, pocket sand is a better move. Just pocket sand. Like, the face. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, like, with Muda or something, it's a little more forgivable. But the trying that, like, you know, Asuka's a baby face. She doesn't need the mist anymore. So, I mean, that in itself is a little weird. Like, Asuka could have just clubbed her. Or, you know, just took the title away from uh, Bailey. And then you, there's other ways they could have finished this match. But, Without the fuckery in this match, I thought it was pretty good. I still don't like the Meteora. She never gets her knees quite right. And I'm afraid she's just going to one day come down and like pull a Seth Rollins and tear both her MCL and ACL at the same time. Um, as for your question about the great Nia Jax, I think the problem is that she just overexerts her strength on people that are a lot smaller, but like she doesn't have to do that much work with. She's working with people who are really good in the ring. She could barely touch Carrie Zane, and Carrie Zane is going to do the rest of the work for her. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't yep. know if that makes sense. Like, I mean, I'm sure there's, like, some people that might not go up light for her. Like, Carrie Zane wears 90 pounds. Like, Nia could just touch her, and Carrie's going to bump, like, 20 feet away. So, the biggest part, I mean, I think, you know, size does play into it, but you see the same thing. Like, watch AJ Styles work against the undertaker look how light he goes up for a choke slam or something like he's jumping off of the ground way high up and i mean like you know not to to shatter illusions or anything but like sean is a good example working with someone big like or or, or uh it, you know it just depends on how light the person wants to go up like big guys don't have to do that much with lighter opponents that's what's impressive about brock like, if Brock really wanted to throw Rey Mysterio as hard as he could, I'm pretty sure he would send him all the way out. <laughs> like, uh, he doesn't have to. They're just going to go up easy. Now, when you see him wrestle against, like, a bigger guy like Braun Strowman, that's when the suplexes get a little more suspect because Braun doesn't necessarily go up easy for anyone. So some of that is just how good of a wrestler you are. The, the more of the problem with, with Nia is she's literally facing only good wrestlers 90% of the time. They're not making her up matches against Lacey Evans. So <laughs> what she doesn't have an excuse. Like if you're going against if your if your opponents are like Bailey, Sasha, Charlotte, Oscar, Carrie Zane, you're getting like top tier female athletes. So at some point like where is it it's it's your fault. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you, but I will say, once again, like normally, I really enjoyed both shows. Um, should we, before we leave, should we move on to ratings, Chris? Sure, do you have them? Because I do not have those pulled up in front of me. 
I do. So uh, NXT actually won again, but it was far more closer this time. It was 70, 792,000 viewers compared to 748,000 viewers. Uh, but AEW is ranked sixth in cable and still topped the 18-49 demo, while uh, NXT was ranked 13. Um, and then AEW is ranked 61 in viewership, while NXT was ranked 60 in viewership. See, I have all this information. I still have no idea what the fuck all that means exactly. That makes... Like, how can AEW 6 but have less viewers? I don't know. But either way, good job, NXT. You did it. Try to do it a couple more times. And um, that's not sarcasm towards NXT. I love NXT. I'm a, I always stick up for them. But, you know, um, I'm, cl- I'm more happy that AEW's climbed back up a bit because they were pretty goddamn low last week. Uh, any comments? No, I mean, they were much lower last week. This was a special Fighter Fest thing. I I mean, I think Darby Allen being off the show hurts. Sammy Guevara being off the show hurts. I think what is helping, um, to me, to some extent, what's helping WWE is, I mean, Sasha and Bailey being there, having some of the WWE stars there, and having a very strong uh, women's division, in all honesty. Yep. I mean, if you look at this card, it is centered around their women talent. That, to me, that like, I mean, outside personal, as far as in ring, my favorite wrestling match was the Oni Lurkin match. But the, as far as the matches to me that were important, you have the elimination number one contender match, and then you have this non-title match with Sasha versus Io Shirai, which is just kind of a dream match. Which, while it didn't turn out the way I would have necessarily wanted it booked, it was still a really, really good match. Um, whereas AEW gave you a tag tag match in the main event and a Cody Rhodes title match against someone that no one would have saw as a threat. That's very true. I agree with you. Um, I just would like to see both their numbers, uh, like try to get to a million. It's just, you know, I I think the final thought I have, my, my Jerry Springer's final thought on AEW and NXT is kind of like what I've noticed when people are saying it's like the fact that they're, they're calling this a ratings war. And yes, ratings are still important. The Nielsen rating system, I don't know why, is still considered of importance uh, in the scheme of things when it comes to advertisement. Uh, it's, it's kind of not fair due to the modern age of people recording or watching it on different downloadable platforms and whatnot. Um, the fact that you have NXT the next day available on the WWE Network, or if you want to pay Fight TV, you can watch um, with no commercials AEW on that. I mean, there's other factors into all this. But to try to say it's the ratings war or call it even the Wednesday Night Wars, I know we say it um, jokingly, it's just in no comparison because you got to think about it. Yeah, they didn't have all those things and they don't rate it with all those things included. But back when the Men Night Wars were going on in the late 90s, you were clearing, like, you know, you can get, combining shows, you can get four to fucking, like, six million viewers between the two shows. It's just, there's no comparison. So, I don't know, someone was mentioned about that, I want to say it was Brian, it was probably Brian, because Brian tends to get aggravated about stuff uh, like that, Brian Alvarez on Wrestling Observer. 
but it's 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 still like it's it's fun to kind of do this whole entire Wednesday Night Wars, and yeah, they're they're definitely kind of going after each other a bit, but in the scheme of things, even if you compare with Raw and SmackDown and the numbers they put out nowadays, it's just it's not a comparison. We were in the uh, the golden age, Chris, is what I would say of wrestling. Yeah, I mean, I think if you book Jericho on the show, you get a different rating. If it, if Moxley was going to be there, you get a different rating. I mean, there's things about AEW where you get different ratings. The same thing with uh, NXT, right? So, but one will either clear like over a million. No, not as is. It's going to take something a little else to push them there. I mean, AEW came close. They had nine hundred and seventy thousand before did. COVID. So it's not it's not far fetched. I think people are consuming wrestling a lot different, as you stated. The ratings, the reason that Brian says the ratings are important is because both of these companies have, you know, millions of dollars of contract money from TV stations. And ratings are important to those TV stations because they get ad revenue. So in in the long-term effect of it, live sports are like one of the only things thriving on TV or live action sports like wrestling or football or any kind of sport, basically, which is why they have these huge deals with WWE and AEW because live TV and ad revenue are are there. Most of your streaming services, you can just pay your way out of ads. Uh, It becomes a whole different kind of conversation. So Brian's argument is like, this shit still matters because WWE signed a $600 million a year contract with Fox or whatever that giant number was that they had so it's it's important to it's important to their tv brands until we find out what new tv looks like and no one knows what that's going to be in the future at this point so like winning is important but you know outside of basketball i don't think tnt was going to be doing this high of ratings anyways yeah, and they seemed very happy and gave AEW a second show starting next year. So you're going to get two AEW shows. I think the, the 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 thing the brands did. I mean, to me, NXT did the wrong thing by just going head to head. I think separating it out would have been better for both brands. Um, and you know, Raw can't really. I mean, the other thing is NXT. You're moving these stars to other like to NXT, and you're starting to see Raw's ratings drop because Raw was at one point five in the third hour which is one of the lowest it's ever been <sighs> so it's it's affected across the board even in your primary products ratings wise so it's just really hard to judge with how people are consuming tv right now because a lot like i said a lot of people are working from home so i don't know that these numbers mean as much and you don't ever get clear-cut dvr numbers because they're not the same I mean, like with something like Monday Night Raw and SmackDown, I still think they're probably getting two million viewers. It's just a lot of those live viewers are like, well, if I got to work at, at home, I might as well watch three hours of Raw while I work. Even if it's just like background noise to some extent. So I, I think the views are still there. We'll see. I mean, there's an oversaturation of the product. That's the other thing. Like, you're running two TV pay-per-views against each other that aren't really pay-per-views and trying to convince us which one's better. And at some point, you're just looking at what what stars are on what and picking which one you watch, unless you watch both of them, like you and I do, which I'm assuming fans are still doing. It's just whichever one you have the easiest access to watch the next day. 
Um, the only time there was a huge difference is when AEW was, like I said, headed into that one pay-per-view where they were like 900 million and NXT was like 690,000. And that was coming into the Jericho Cody Rhodes match where Cody was kind of on fire. They pulled him off a little bit. Um, and right now AEW doesn't have a huge baby face star. I mean, I thought Moxley was going to be that guy, but I don't think he's really clicked with the audience since, since that Omega match. I don't think he really clicked the same way. Yeah, no, I agree. I think all that's extremely good points. Um, yeah, it's weird. You thought AEW is missing kind of a big baby face and that's, kind of weird concept of what we were talking about my theory if you will with cody if you do miss that you don't have that anymore but then again the idea is of a wrestler like cody can as him as a heel be able to build baby faces better than him just being the only big baby face on the main card so i don't know with ratings uh like i said it's 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 not as uh Last week was kind of a big deal. That was kind of weird. That was a strange, big difference between the two. But, um, yeah, week to week, it becomes less. Like you said, I, I, I think one of the most important things that people kind of forget is that, like, USA is not going to be mad about the ratings Raw and NXT are pulling in because the shows that they would on, have on, like, what, they're going to have a fucking two-hour marathon of the Chrisleys instead? Is that going to pop a better rating? No, Raw's still one of the biggest rated things on USA, and TNT probably is very happy with AEW, like you stated. So it, it, it makes sense. Um, I don't yeah, know. More of the lo- problem would. I was just going to say more of the problem is with Fox, because that's public access TV. Everyone has it, and they were expecting WWE to be pulling like 3 million viewers. And they pulled that one time when The Rock was there for the first show, and it's never happened again. So Fox, who recently canceled backstage, is not seemingly not as happy with what WWE is putting out because they can, Fox can put original programming on and get those kind of viewers just because it's free for yep. everyone versus cable. So that. That rating means more than all of the rest of the ratings because the rest of the ratings are tied to, uh, sorry, someone's shooting fireworks, uh, <laughs> tied to uh, Happy Fourth of July, everyone. Um, they're tied. They're tied more intensely to cable TV, and you have to have cable to begin with. Whereas Fox, it, it, you know, they could put anything there. That's a good point. All right. Well, I think that's the end of the show, guys. Um... We're going to have another show that we're, me and uh, Chris are going to record uh, Saturday. We'll be going over Raw SmackDown and probably well, by then I don't know where we'll be with uh, New Japan. I think they're going to – are they at the uh, the semifinals right now? It's the last four matches? We are at the last four matches, and it's looking a whole lot like it's going to be Tanahashi and Okada, which I think is a good comeback match for Naito um, as champion. I'm assuming okay. Naito will retain whether he wrestles either of them. You have Ishii um, and Evil. Sonata is still in the mix. Um, I'm blanking on the last person. I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but you, you have a very good... T- I think Ishimori is, yes. So, out of those guys, I mean, you could do Sonata versus Okada, 
it seems more likely with it being the first show they're going to have live for that final um in a limited capacity arena you go with a big match which would be tanahashi versus okada and it really doesn't matter who wins that match it's just if they're going to let naito retain and i'm assuming that he is going to retain uh, which will be on the, the following night, which will be uh, Dominion, I want to say. Because they're doing two live shows in a row. So the end of the cup, and then they're going to do Dominion the very next night. Um, so Naito is pissed. He's ready, to, he's ready to defend his title against anyone. He's already trying to fight people in the airport, apparently. So it should be good. <laughs> you're, okay. Either way, you're going to have a great final. I would love to see Okada and Evil in the final think that would be really good and they give they gave evil way more of a push than i thought they were going to and maybe i'll uh, i'll pull up more notes on it and go over the tournament in more detail uh once once we get through the rest of the shows tomorrow because i have a feeling that uh smackdown's not going to be very good why 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 would you say that <laughs> <laughs> based on our last like uh seven weeks of smackdown i have a feeling it's not going to be very good but either way, because we we enjoy punishment and pain, uh, we're both masochists. Um, we're going to go over Raw and SmackDown Saturday, and uh, I actually liked a lot of aspects of Raw. We'll, we'll, we'll fucking do that Saturday. You guys have gotten a long show. Definitely check out the last two shows. Uh, you know, basically from the previous week, we did all the wrestling events, and then obviously uh, my show in which I broke down the Tessa Blanchard stuff, I broke down the, the COVID stuff over at WWE and also the Speaking Out Movement stuff. So check that out. Wrestling Geeks Alliance, Monday Suck Edition. Um, but yeah, it's been a great show. Definitely enjoy talking to wrestling with Chris and all of you guys out there like normally. Um, we'll be back with another episode, like I said, probably uh, up on Sunday. You'll, you'll probably have this by Saturday. So it's good stuff. When you're listening, just realize that I'm talking in uh, you know, a past, so that's why. Anyways, I'm tired. I need to go to sleep. You guys are great. Hey, Chris, uh, do you have anything to say to the beautiful people out there? Beautiful people. Sure. Beautiful. <laughs> if you want to talk to me, you can be at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. That's the easiest way to get in touch with me. Um, I'm also at Christopher.R.Patton on Facebook. Um, I will try to throw up some some matches this week and maybe some past content from our show because we had a bunch of shows that have like fell between the last uh, seven days. So some historical shows, so to speak. But uh, yeah, everyone have a great weekend. Happy Fourth of July, everyone. Happy Canada Day. Um, I know I'm a, I'm a day late, but happy Canada Day for everyone that is uh, in Canada listening to us. But uh, yeah. Uh, we have the hockey podcast coming up. We're going to talk about the start of the new season. It starts on July 30th is the tentative date. 2014 playoffs. Um, that's coming up in the next couple weeks as well. That can be heard at Skates to Throats. If you search that on Spotify, you'll find us. That's it for me, Dane. Thank you so much. As always, I thought this was a fun show. Weird role reversal. We probably blew the listeners' minds, but uh, fun all around. I blew my own mind. Um, but yeah, <laughs> great episode. If you guys want to find me on social media, you can find me at Danels42 on Twitter and Danels on Facebook. Uh, and just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance uh, on Google. But seriously, I'll bring you a link up to everything. You can find us 
Geek Vibes Nation. You'll find all of our, our links if you go to geekvibesnation.com. So just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance on any type of downloadable style of concept when it comes to Spotify, uh, when it comes to SoundCloud, when it comes to iTunes, YouTube. You'll find us there. Check out our episodes, like our episodes, share our episodes. Thank you so much. Uh, and have a wonderful evening, guys, and just a great weekend. Happy 4th. Happy Canada Day. All that in the bag of tricks. You guys have a good one, and peace out.